And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stand by to receive our transmission. Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? Humans make illogical decisions. Destruct sequence completed and engaged. No! Yes, I found Mr. Spock. I'm talking to Mr. Spock. You understand? Starfleet, do you read? This is the Enterprise. We are under attack. Fire, Mr. Scott. Welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday number 51. This is the old school version, which is going to be the only school version this month because we are lazy, busy, whatever you want to call us. Slackers. Let's go with that first one. Yes, and and I'm slacker number one, Chris Honeywell. I'm here with slacker number two, Scott Gardner. <laughs> and if you're not feeling particularly slackery this month, Chris, I'll be happy to pull your weight slackwise because I'm <laughs> feeling mighty slackery myself. At least in the podcast area, it sounds like the rest of your life. You're, uh, oh man, you're... yeah, I, uh, you know, for 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 those that may be following uh, the drama on Facebook or whatever, or, or for the curious, or you know, the cool thing about this, I was thinking about this the other day. Here, here's our first tangent. We're right out of the gate in tangent <laughs> city already, so I'll keep this short. But uh, sure. you know, one of the, the really cool things is, uh, you know, because of friends that we have fostered through doing this show it it's really cool that you have people that you know have become you know your your real friends your real extended family that you know they're actually involved and interested and uh and supportive in real things that happen in your life and it's funny i was uh, hanging out with a buddy of mine yesterday uh, his name is daniel and uh, and we were monorail pilots together. And uh, he he was my closest friend in the department. Great guy. And I hadn't seen him in quite a while. He's now switched over to resorts like me. He actually works at uh, my sister resort, the Art of Animation Resort. 
And so we got together first, you know, for the first time in months and months and months. Uh, yesterday we hung out together, and it was really a lot of fun. And uh, I was just telling him, you know, about, you know, he was asking me about the show and how things were going. And I just told him, I said, you know, it's so weird, you know, to have people out there that have literally like followed this crazy journey of mine from being, you know, this you know, borderline, you know, obsessive fan for, for Walt Disney world to then becoming a cast member and then the different roles. And, you know, now here I've, uh, you know, I've started on my new journey to, uh, to be the official title is core facilitator. That's really a fancy way of saying trainer. You know, I'm, I'm essentially, I'll it be sounds a teacher like you're trainer working in the Tron world, <laughs> right? Yes, yes, it does. But, uh, you know, it's, it's really, it's a fancy, it's a fancy term for, uh, yeah, it, it encapsulates a lot of things. It's it's first and foremost, it's teaching. You know, it, it's a teacher position, but you know, it's also a trainer position, and uh, and a lot of it is also kind of sort of like pr- professor slash lecturer. You know, um, so I started my classes on that this week, and I'm excited. I'm thrilled. It's going to be a lot of fun, but wow, is it going to be a lot of work? You're going to so. end up giving podcasts at work too, basically. It, it's a, yeah, you know, that's the funny thing about this is that it's funny when you, when you step back and really realize, and you know, it, it's funny to say it out loud because it sounds like I'm projecting or something, but honestly. This is one of those things where I can see where the last several years of my life, especially since we started this show, that all these seemingly diverse elements of my life have now come together to form a a really strange, cohesive whole where the podcast has really led me to where I'm at in my career. You know, it's gained me the confidence that I never, ever thought that I would have to be able to stand up in front of a, an entire room of strangers and talk, just talk. And it's weird because, you know, you and I experienced that the first time we went and we did that panel at Dragon Con. I think we both kind of looked at each other and thought, whoa, where did this come from? You know, where did we suddenly, I, I don't know about you, I never <laughs> experienced any stage shyness at all during that. And it's I, bizarre because... You know, before I'm, we started doing the show, I couldn't have been that person. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, I'm a, I'm a mutant. I've never had stage. I've had a few times where I've been doing something like really huge and had like some butterflies in my stomach, but I've always been a ham, you know, right? like in, in real life, I like, I don't really seek out human contact too much i don't mind it sometimes <laughs> but for the most part most people annoy the hell out of me but you put me on stage or put a microphone in front of me and all of a sudden well actually if if i'm amongst friends you can't shut me up either but you know <laughs> i've always i've always really enjoyed it and also i i, I probably would have been a little nervous at dragon con but we had Eric Peterson pouring these insanely strong <laughs> drinks down our throat, so that helped a lot. With, uh, I will not be doing that at Disney U. No, let me no, you. no, that's uh, probably yes. not a good idea at all. Well, this is a different <laughs> setting altogether. 
never get paid anything at Dragon Con, you know. <laughs> Let me tell you this is about the mouse. I love the mouse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That would be a whole different class oh, altogether. You'd be carrying out your desk in a in a cardboard box by the end of that day. <laughs> Pete, 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 look, I've got to go do this, and I got to go to work at the same time. You got to go cover my shift at work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got this. I got it. <laughs> what am I talking about? Game. <laughs> Oh, man. Star Trek. <laughs> yes. Bringing it all back around to Star Trek. Um, what have you got for preamble before we get going on this? Well, you know, b- back to rambling, rambling. But I got to do this because you're going to hear it no matter what two true freaks you listen to in the next few episodes. <laughs> but, you know, if you're following us on Facebook, you probably know about it. But this is the first I've really brought it up in, in the podcast is... Uh, we are going to be leaving Libsyn very soon. Very soon, you know, since this is coming out, you know, after, you know, a couple weeks after we record it. And we don't quite know how that's going to work. It's going to work, but we don't just, uh, there's, there's a couple different ways it can go, and we don't know if we can get it to go one of the ways. So there may be a point where... You know, if you have a subscription to our RSS feed where you're like, why aren't I getting any Two True Freaks? That's because we're not posting them on Libsyn anymore. We will be posting them at twotruefreaks.com. And um, and you might have to go to twotruefreaks.com. And, and anyway, why the hell wouldn't you want to go to twotruefreaks.com? And just and uh, resubscribe to the RSS feed, or go to iTunes and resubscribe, because there might be a new RSS feed. If I can wrangle it, if it's possible, I'm gonna try to just switch it over, so that you won't know. Either way, you'll just it'll just be like it always was. Except if you want to go see what new episode is up and see what the picture, you go to twotruefreaks.com instead of. Tutrafreaks.libson.com. So, uh, um, it's a big deal. Um, we get to, um, we don't have any limitations on how many shows we can post. So, we we will be posting more. <laughs> That's oh, been yes. holding us back a little bit. As busy as we are, yes, it's not just Scott and I anymore. We've got a whole bunch of great people do, doing their own podcasts and doing podcasts with us and stuff. And I mean, everybody just seems to be firing on all cylinders and they all seem to be having a lot of fun and are enthusiastic about it. So I couldn't be happier about anything, you know, or I couldn't be happier about this whole thing. It's going to be great. Um, You know, for some time we've been calling ourselves a network and we are. But you're going to see pretty soon what that really means. We're gonna, I mean, we're gonna, we are going to, yeah, we're gonna blow this thing wide open with so many new shows and people that we'll be bringing on and inviting to join us and that sort of thing. Plus, this will give us the room that we need to grow two true freaks proper 
and also, you know, hopefully, time permitting, this will also allow some of those fan favorite shows that have kind of slipped through the cracks and we haven't had the time to get to or the bandwidth to uh, to put up on the Libsyn feed for some of those shows to, uh, you know, to come back. So. And, and it'll be easier to find. People have had trouble finding back episodes. We'll have all of our, we're, we're transferring all of our back episodes so you won't just get the new stuff. You can still go back and get everything that was on Libsyn before. And, uh, yeah, it should be, and, and if there's a certain show, if, like, you're one of those people that only listens to one Two True Freak show, now you can go to twotruefreaks.com and just go to that show and subscribe to that show. If you don't want it, you know, if, you know, I don't know how much of a bother it is to have all these episodes that you don't listen to pop up that you have to fiddle through, but you'll have that option. And, uh... Although why you wouldn't want to listen to all of our shows frankly boggles my mind. What the hell are you doing that's more important than listening to us? Honestly, ask yourself. That doesn't have to Cuz I think or... you need to reevaluate your life. That's that's all I'm saying. Yeah, but and and those of you who who are listening <laughs> to all of our shows, why aren't you force feeding it on all your friends too? Yes, exactly. Force it down their throats. Strap them to a chair for an afternoon. Mm-hmm. They'll thank you for it later. You push it or down they'll their call throats. The on you, one of the two. And yeah. then you just take the take your your the palm side of your hand and you sort of stroke their throat down, and that makes sure they swallow it real good. You hold their head up and you just stroke <laughs> down on that. that <laughs> they'll swallow it real good. <laughs> Trust us, we're practiced at this. <laughs> anyway, Star Trek. That's about. Well, uh, oh, also before we get done with this. Um, a huge, mungus shout out to uh, the three people that are putting out, are putting together our website because Scott and I are so inept. That there's just no way we're gonna do it, you know, or or it would take you know three years for us to figure it out and piece it together. But the legendary Mike Voiles of Mike's Amazing World, if you've mm-hmm. ever been to Mike'sAmazingWorld.com. You know, and if and you I haven't, imagine what most the, of you have. Yeah, exactly. If you haven't, again, what 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 is wrong with you? Um, he's he's basically our webmaster. He's the one who helped us. He helped us find the 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 really awesome host that we've got, and he's basically been building our site, building the whole infrastructure of the site. Um, you know, some of the pretty pictures; those are going to be me. But when you see that 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 whole thing was set up by Mike. Um, we, uh, but we've also got Kelly Logue and J. David Waiter, or Weeder. I don't. Weeder. Weeder. He, he, um, he can email me and tell me what a jerk I was for calling him Waiter. <laughs> waiter. There's a fly in my suit. Um, <laughs> they've also they've been they've been doing a lot of work uploading and downloading. They've been doing all the. The, the part that I was the most dread dreaded of doing, which is getting all the shows from Libsyn and getting all the show notes together and getting them all moved over to the new site. And then they'll be setting up all the different RSS feeds, all the stuff that boggles my mind. So all these guys, you got a special place in Valhalla for you. And we're still t- trying to figure out what we're going to do to to make your lives better or whatever or, or or some sort of something but 
We're going to take them all out and get them drunk and laid. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> That's my plan. I'm trying to think if any of them are married and if that might be an issue. Well, uh, there you go. As you saw. We oh, just, we'll just you bring know. their wife. We'll just buy extra liquor. We'll just get their wife extra go. liquored up. There you go. And you know how wives are. When they're around Scott Gardner, they, they, they go home with a little extra gleam in their eye. There you go. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> Once just as uh, just as no, I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> one, 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 um, don't say it. One, no, I'm not gonna. Say one it. suggestion <laughs> I've had is uh, is um, Mike Voyles has a wish list of comics that he needs over on um, on Mike'sAmazingWorld.com. So if if any of you listeners out there have an extra copy of any of those and want to send them to him and you know tell him two true freaks sent you. That would be, that awesome. would be awesome. Yeah, it would be awesome. That would I be imagine, cool. judging by his massive comic collection, they might be pretty rare or <laughs> expensive comics, you know, the ones that he still needs at this point, you know, after, you know, decades of collecting. But you never know. There might be one of uh, somebody who's, you know, keeping their coffee table even with one of them. So right. just switch it with the newspaper, you know, what the hell? <laughs> Just a suggestion, but that's all I got. All right. Well, before we get into this proper, I have some thank yous and shout outs of my own. And the first one, right off the bat, a huge, huge thank you to our friend Nick Martorelli. Now, Nick literally just backed up a truck and dumped off a shitload of cash for us with this little message. He said, this donation is so you freaks can attend the movie screenings of Best of Both Worlds in late April. He says, Scott mentioned them, mentioned the price, and you should totally go. Unfortunately, Scott had to work, so I wasn't able to go, but I got a hold of Nick and said, uh, I appreciate it, ain't gonna happen. Do you want your money back? And Nick was like, no, 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 it's totally your money. You know, do with it what you want, you will. So uh, it might end up being my yeah. Iron Man 2 budget. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Three. Three. Iron yeah. Three, yes. I've already seen Iron Man 2. Yes. <laughs> but yes. Yeah. That uh, that's more than likely going to be my plan as well. But uh, thank you, Nick. Thought that was totally awesome. But the thank yous to Nick only start there. Not long after that, I actually got a package in the mail from him. He sent me some awesome, awesome reading material. I got here. I've never heard of this book. It's called Live from Cape Canaveral. And uh, it says, Covering the Space Race from Sputnik to Today, written by uh, Jay Barbary. It says, uh, NBC's veteran space correspondent. And uh, this looks really great. This is right up my alley. It's all about, you know, right from, uh, you know, the earliest missions right up to current stuff. I love stuff like this, and I'm really looking forward to digging into that book. There was another book in here. Uh, this one is called Moon Dust, In Search of the Men Who Fell to Earth by Andrew Smith. Now, I don't know, you know, eagle-eared listeners may remember that way, way, way back, and I could not tell you what episode it was. Actually, you know what? I think it was the the episode that we did about um, reading, you know, about like literacy and reading a book and whatever the name of that, that episode was. I think you know, I which know where you're going. About? Yeah, I think I know where you're going with this. I, I talked about this book in that episode because it was a book that I had picked up on one of our trips to uh, to Florida from Georgia when we lived in Georgia. So I actually own this. I've read it. It is a great, 
great book. It is basically the post moon landing life stories of the 12 men who actually walked on the surface of the moon. Basically what happened to them? What were the rest of their lives like? Great book. And like I say, I already have a copy. So with Nick's permission, I'm going to forward this on to you, buddy. I think you will really, really enjoy this book. Ooh, I think cool. Will, I will. will really enjoy it. it is a really, really fascinating read because it's essentially, it's a what if story. What do you do with the rest of your life after you've walked on the moon, for God's sakes, you know? So it, it's really a fascinating read. Great, great book. And those guys have still kind of set the bar because they're having, you know, that was it with the moon, you know? Yep. So far, yeah. So far, that's still pretty much the, the, the pinnacle of human achievement it's, it's so far. It's kind of sad that all these guys are going to be dead and, and there's yeah. not like a moon colony up there. Yeah, right now, it is. you know, that many years after they were there. Mm hmm. I have another set of shout outs and thank yous real quick. This one is to our friend Paul Spataro, who you can hear on our uh, very excellent Back to the Bins podcast, where uh, Paul has just been doing a bang up job. He's really taken the reins uh, with that show and uh, and just doing a great job. Paul is a hell of a nice guy. And if you're not listening to Back to the Bins, then you really ought to be because it's really a great show and we have a blast over there. And Paul, for I presume this was for my birthday. I don't know. This just kind of showed up out of the blue. I, I think this was birthday presents, but uh, I hadn't had a chance to really give him a proper shout out till now. So he sent me a couple really cool things. He sent me, this is, I believe this is a collection. I don't think this is an original graphic novel, but it's from IDW. It's uh, it's called Star Trek Khan, Ruling in Hell. And I oh, think it's a collection of a miniseries. It is. I have it? that miniseries. Yeah. I read that. I, I talked it about looks... it in Star Trek Monthly Mondays. Yeah, I, I thought I heard you mm -hmm. saying some, something about it. It's this really good. It's what happens really... on... City, what is it? City Alpha three that he's on, or City Alpha? Uh, City Alpha five. City Alpha yeah. five. It's basically the story of from when they were dropped off to when Chekhov shows up. This looks really good because there it's is a crazy. novel that covers this stuff. I started reading it and really thought I got to be perfectly honest. I thought it sucked. As a matter of fact, I didn't get very far into it. It was a continuation of a story. I wish I could remember the author's name because generally that author is he's usually pretty good, but he's, he can be a little hit and miss with the con stuff. I thought he was very miss. And uh, he basically did a, a two or three novel story about Khan's rise, Khan's fall, and then Khan's exile um, after uh, Space Seed. And it just, it wasn't very good to start with, and it just kind of went downhill from there. And I, I, if I remember properly, I don't think I finished the the book, you know, where he was actually on City Alpha 5. I just, it, it, somewhere along the line, it just lost, and it just wasn't, it was kind of boring, to be honest with you. It just wasn't very interesting. This, however, looks fantastic. This, the art I, looks really good. The and, art's uh, really nice, but and it's it's a simple story. It's 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 one of those comics that's you know each issue is like a ten minute read, mm -hmm. and, and all that. And the beginning and the end of it are sort of tie-ins, you know. 
But it really gives you a good sense of what kind of leader Khan was. You know, he's a protagonist of this. So, you know, you, you, you get to see why he was so, ang you know, it, it, it makes you a little more, it makes you feel for the guy a little bit, you know, to see how things went downhill. And it also really hits home with the um, Kirk being just sort of like, all right, see you later, you know? Right. It, it's it, there's there's a scene where it seems like Scotty's a little more Scotty's a little more like well I want to leave him some of the you know I don't know you know we might want to leave this behind and and help him out and stuff and I might want to have me show him how to work it and and stuff like that you know Kirk just being sort of like yeah yeah whatever <laughs> and uh, you know they they leave sort of amicably but um yeah. <laughs> Well, also, this is written by the Tiptons. Um, mm -hmm. I believe these guys are brothers, if I'm not mistaken, Scott and David Tipton. And uh, everything I have read of theirs so far, um, Star Trek related, has just been phenomenal. These guys they understand know their it. Trek. Yeah, and, and they and, understand w and, what makes great Trek. And not only that, but they write it in a sort of, it has a Star Trek II feel. It has a feel of what the theatrical movies were like at that time. So, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. So when you read it, tell me when you finish reading it. I'll uh, whip mine out and uh, and I'll get the comics, too. <laughs> and reread them. <laughs> the other thing that was in here was, uh, I don't know if I've talked about this much, but uh, not long ago, we uh, we finally got ourselves. We finally kind of got with uh, the the present day, and uh, we finally bought ourselves a Blu-ray player, and it's it's really nice, really nice Blu-ray player. So I have once again started the whole damn process over again of collecting movies and such, and uh, as part of this little uh, package for my birthday, Paul sent me the Blu-ray release of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Ooh. And uh, I watched this today, and I'm telling you, it's awesome. It, <laughs> it's so pretty, you know? I mean, here's a movie I've seen. It's got to be hundreds of times by now. And it was so crisp and so clear, and you know, seeing details that I'd never seen before, that blows my mind when it's a movie that you feel like you just, you're so intimately familiar with, and then suddenly you watch, you know, a, a cleaned up version of it, and it's like, wow, never caught that before kind of thing. It was, it's really awesome. Yeah, so. it's more lines of information now than when, you, oh yeah. Yeah, it was TV <laughs> time. Fantastic. So thank you, Paul, very, very much. I really appreciated it, and I had a blast watching uh, Star Trek II, which is what we're going to be covering tonight. Oh, yeah. Is, yeah. I am looking forward to this. You know what was really cool is um, there's been a lot of talk about the new movie that's coming out, the, uh, what is it, Into, Into Darkness? Is Into that the darkness. name of it? Into Darkness. And there was an article um, that I was reading somewhere I think it was that spoiler article that I sent to you, if I'm not mistaken, but uh -huh. some article I was reading about the movie that was, there was a great portion of it that, that really hit home to me 
a lot of my trepidation, a lot of my troubles really with this new version and, uh, you know, the, uh, the villain being Khan and essentially, I don't think it's going to end up being a remake so much as it's kind of a reimagining of this movie is the fact of Star Trek two is not only arguably the best Star Trek film, arguably the best Star Trek adventure, you know, single adventure that there's ever been, but it's also one of the greatest science fiction movies ever. It really is. I mean, it's, it stands If you made a list of say the top, what 25 greatest science fiction movies. This movie's definitely on that list. Might even be on the top 10. I'm sorry. I would, I would, I would, I would put it in there. It's, I mean, you could argue it's because it's really actiony, but mm. then you've got, you know, the, no, it's got enough science fiction in it. I'm never mind. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I, I know where you were going with though, because it, you know, at on the surface of it, it does seem like it's a move away from, you know, what I'm always talking about. The, the reason I'm always preaching that I like, Star Trek the motion picture is that I feel like it's the more core sci-fi. Star Trek sci-fi. It's the more sci-fi Star Trek. But this one hadn't completely gone the route of of you know just you know divorcing itself from Genesis the science fiction what? and becoming just about you know the action or just about you know the drama and the characters. This one's still at its core there's a lot of science fiction involved. You know, not only is there the Genesis aspect, which was a high science fiction concept at that time coming out, there's that, but there's also the carry, you know, the carry on of the story of Khan, which was, you know, a genetically engineered, uh, Superman basically, you know, in his race of, of superhuman people. That's, uh, you know that's a pretty far out science fictiony concept for its time as well. So, you know, all wrapped up in in the disguise of you know a, 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 an actioner, a, a, but an action revenge flick. Yeah, very much so. But uh, that that little assessment and that little article basically, uh, the, the what I took away from it was the ar- the author of the article was basically expressing his extreme trepidation about the new movie and, and his reasons why he was not crazy about them essentially remaking Wrath of Khan. I thought that was a really good observation that I, I happen to think he's absolutely yeah. right. Well, spoiler alert, I was sort of pestering you about doing another show where we talked about those spoilers and in the movie and stuff, and I've been thinking about it, and I think I'd almost rather wait till the movie comes out to confirm <laughs> that that's mm-hmm. really how it's going to go down before I before I make any assessment of it. But if that's really how it's going to go down, me and Star Trek might have words. Me and J.J. Abrams' Star Trek may have words at the end of this. Because, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it could be... It could be people messing with my head so i'm gonna wait it's not that long i don't have that long to wait no i can do it as a matter of fact i think this episode we're recording tonight and that movie are going to come out more or less concurrently if i'm not mistaken oh, so which was kind of the whole idea behind this show to begin with <laughs> that so. makes sense yeah 
But uh, are we ready to dive right into this, or do I we think, need to take a little break? I think I'm ready, if you are. All right. I am good to go. So we uh, have the DVD, and we are paused right at uh, just after the opener. We are paused at the black screen just prior to uh, the Paramount's uh, start of the film. Paused right at zero zero here. So and you want to do the countdown? Yes, and just another just another little qualification. It's the theatrical release of yes, Wrath yes. of Khan, and not a director's cut. Yep. So I shall do the countdown. And on go, press play. Three, two, one, go. I can hear us both clicking at the <gasps> same time. We seem to get a Jones. I'm trying to remember, was there ever a Star Trek movie that opened with the Paramount Mountain and went to a mountain? I'm, I can't I remember. remember when Kirk went to the mountain. He loved the Right. <laughs> Now, right out of the gate, I gotta say, I love James Horner's score for this movie. Now, did you see this first on HBO? Yes. Me too. I'm wondering, why the hell didn't either of us see this in the theater? I know how, why how did I did that didn't. happen. I don't know. I have no idea why I didn't see this in the theater. Well, I, I don't. I don't want to bogart, but if you want me to tell the origin story as I remember it, I will. Oh, go right ahead, because I ain't there got was that, nothing. There was that summer where, I, it still amazes me that this actually happened, but there was that summer where your folks let you come with me and my family, and we drove down to Pennsylvania to visit my Aunt Joanne, and we stayed mm -hmm. down there, what did we stay down there? Most of the summer, I think, right? Oh, we were we were there for, for a like a week or two, a week or two, yeah. Yeah. And I remember we went to the local mall there. And that's where I first heard of Star Trek II. I remember I, it must have either been playing or it was about to come out. They had a poster for it, which I now own. I've had it for, God, I've probably had my copy of it 20 years now. But it's it's the poster image. To my knowledge, it's the only Star Trek poster quite like it, where it's essentially in the middle of the poster, it says Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And then all the way around the border of the poster are little, almost like uh, trading card sized photos of stills from the movie. You know, little action scenes mm -hmm. and stuff, kind of giving you a preview of like what you could find in the movie and everything. I remember that poster being in the mall. I think it might have been, it was definitely on one of those like three sided, uh, I always call them marquees, which is really a misnomer. It's the direct, you know, mall directory. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was right on the one, like, as you walked into the mall, it was like the first thing you saw was that poster. And I remember you getting really excited about it, and I was kind of indifferent, kind of like, eh, Star Trek. Because to me, at that time, Star, Star Trek was... Star Wars was the thing. Uh, well, Star Wars, of course, Star Wars was huge. We were huge Star Wars fans. But also, to me, Star Trek was a vague concept. Star Trek was something... I remember watching like with Randy and Gary and them, mm -hmm. you know, but I wasn't into it. I, I really had very little knowledge of it. It was just one of those things, you know, like the old Batman TV show that I was aware of having watched, but wasn't knowledgeable of. And then fast forward, what, probably a year or so to where it was on HBO. And that was the air. I have no idea what HBO is like today. 
But when we were kids, HBO was a movie came to HBO and they ran it to death, you know. And but they were events. When a movie came to HBO, it was almost like when a movie came out of the theater. It was an event. It was a big deal. It started on a Friday at like eight o'clock. Would be like right, first yeah. And they would show it. Yeah, they'd have. It would be a premiere. It'd be you know, back in the day when movies would come to TV, they'd call it like the world television premiere. It was kind of like that, except it was the HBO version of that. So anyway, there was a big deal. It was promoted for months ahead of time when it was coming to HBO and it was on the cover of the HBO guide and it was a big friggin' deal. And, you know, of course, we were HBO subscribers and all that. So it came out and I was just instantly hooked. And it was one of those movies that if it was on and it didn't matter what point of the movie it was in, I'd find myself watching it. And it's funny that I claim another Star Trek movie as my favorite Star Trek movie when it's really this one is the one that made me a Star Trek fan. I wouldn't be a Star Trek fan today if it wasn't for Wrath of Khan. I love this movie. I absolutely love it because every time I sit down and watch this movie, it's literally, and this is going to sound so cheesy, but I swear I'm, I'm, I'm being honest it's literally like visiting an old friend or, or like getting a hug from your mom, you know, because it's, it's warm. just, it I get warm colors and I get the warm fuzzies watching this movie. I really, really do. It's, it's just a fantastic movie that I think pretty much top to bottom. All is. I mean, I have my little quibbles with it. One of them being what we just saw right there. I, I know they couldn't help it. They were trying to save money in a lot of ways, although it's deceptive. This movie was kind of made on the cheap. Right. And one of the tricks that they used was they use a lot of stock footage. All this stuff with the Klingons right here, all stock footage. And that bugs me now, having the practiced eye that I do, that I can spot all of it. I mean, I never would have caught it as a kid watching this on HBO because at this time... I had never seen Star Trek, the motion picture, so I had no idea. But there's actually very little original footage with the Enterprise in this movie, you know, because they really just, they were very, uh, you know, they had no qualms whatsoever about just swiping entire scenes of footage from right. the first movie and, and, you know, reworking them for this. Well, they spent so much money on it, they are probably just like, we get everything we can out of that one. Yep, absolutely. Shatner must have loved this intro. And then I come walking out of the fog, and it's me, Bill Shatner. I remember reading the review of this in Coevolution Quarterly. They had a section called Good Movies. They never did bad movie reviews, only movies that they liked. And uh, they gave this a glowing review. Mm -hmm. And I believe Nicholas Meyer was also the director of... Um, oh, um, what was the movie with Roddy McDowell and... Uh, time After Time. Time After Time. I, I loved that movie. Love that movie, yes. And so That's a movie commentary we should do sometime. That's yes. a great movie. Yes, and I had seen that movie on HBO. I'd gotten a chance to see that. And so I was just like, wow, this sounds, you know, it just said they, they were raving about it, saying, you know, this is a Star Trek. It was what all the critics were saying. This is a Star Trek movie 
that everybody's been waiting for. Mm -hmm. This one has the the fe you know it's not a, it's not a lumbering saga. It's a, it's a story, and you know it's got all the the elements from the TV show, and and all the characters are you know at their finest, and they are, and it's funny because. There were jokes even back then about them being long in the tooth and stuff, but look how young they look now, you know? Yeah, that's something that when we get a little more time here a little bit later on, I kind of want to do our little run-through of the actors, of the principals, and like a thumbs up, thumbs down, do you think this is their best, or, or you know, that sort of thing, but we'll get back to that in a minute. I know Mike Petit's going to hate me for saying this, but uh, it's funny. I don't think I've seen this in a few years. I think this is actually my first time watching this in, in, in probably a good couple of years. Well, we watched it a few years ago to do that show. That's about right. Three with so that Mike. Was, yeah. <laughs> so that was probably the last Kirstie time we Alley, both watched it. Kirstie Alley. I, 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 it's hard for me to go back and see her as Savick now. I really don't like it. And one of my quibbles with the movie is she's supposed to be playing a Vulcan. Well, actually, see, she, her character, depending on which version you're supposed to believe, she's supposed to be, I guess, like a Vulcan Romulan hybrid, but they never actually mention that. So to all appearances, she's supposed to be a Vulcan because she's Spock's student and all that. Yet she didn't go with the raised eyebrows and all that. And that bugs me because that to me says not fully committed to the role. You well, know what I mean? I know it's a minor quibble, but it bugs Bugs the hell. Oh, by Star the way, Trek that three. view out the window right there. If you've ever seen the Towering Inferno, that's the opening of the Towering Inferno. They're just reusing a set, but I love that. I think that's awesome. That's hilarious. But I wanted to go back to what you were saying a minute ago and just uh, point it out for for listeners that might not know what you were talking about or what we were talking about. Time after time, if you guys have never seen it, it's a great movie directed by Nick Meyer, the director of this movie. And it's a story of uh, Roddy McDowell plays H.G. Wells. And in the, the basic premise of the movie is that not only was he the author of the novel, The Time Machine, but that he actually really constructed the time machine. It actually functioned and worked. And so he had an actual time machine. And one of his close friends, unbeknownst to him, is Jack the Ripper. And when he's about to get caught up with, steals Wells' time machine, travels forward to modern day, what was it, L.A. or San Francisco? I think it was San Francisco. San Francisco. And Wells has to pursue him through time. Great, great movie. Mary Steenburgen. Yep. And what's really cool about it is if you're a Star Trek fan, there are a ton of Star Trek connections. Because, again, not only did Nick Meyer direct that movie, he directed this movie, Star Trek II. Also, um, Roddy McDowell, mm -hmm. and Who Killed Kirk. And then you've got David Warner, who was in, I can think of at least two Star Trek projects off the top of my head. He was uh, Sinjin Talbot in uh, Star Trek V, the Federation uh, representative to, uh, what was that, Nimbus Three or whatever? No, it wasn't Nimbus. Anyway, the Planet of the Galactic Peace. And then he was also Chancellor Gorkin. The Klingon uh, Chancellor in, in San Francisco mm -hmm. is is a Star Trek. Uh, yeah, that's right. Star Trek that's right. takes yeah. place in San Francisco. That's right. Yeah. Well, also, there's a great scene toward the end of that movie where uh, uh, Steenburgen and uh, and H. G. Wells they have a really nice, you know, romantic moment, 
right at the same scene where Kirk and Spock are walking along the water with the bridge in the background and everything in Star Trek Four, the que- the uh, I was going to say the quest for peace. <laughs> 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 Where they beam all the nuclear weapons into the into sun. Into the sun. Yeah. I love the look of this scene. I love the Commodore 64 on the desk there in the background. <laughs> He's an great. anti. I, I, I like that they, you know, Kirk is a, well, a guy, sort of like my dad, who had anti- decorated his house with antiques, but there's mm-hmm. a, a Commodore 64, you know. It's awesome. I was thinking about this today, too. You know, you and I, or, or well, I, I won't speak for you, but I have taken great pleasure in what I feel like has been debunking this myth of all seven of the, of the so-called principal Star Trek characters have to be present in a Star Trek film to make it work. You know, that, that they couldn't do... You know, the new Star Trek, the Abrams Star Trek, without having, you know, Chekhov and Sulu and her and all that. And I think that's bogus. They could do it and make it work, but it would just be, you would have to hear the whine of a million fanboys. Right. However, I like what they did with this movie. They did it in a very clever way. They get those guys in there, and actually a couple extras um, that... I'm sure nobody was necessarily clamoring for, but it's fun to see them back. But they do it in a novel way that at least one of them, in this case, Chekhov, isn't on the Enterprise anymore. That feels natural to me. And it's a shame that after this movie, he goes right back to um, navigation. Yes. Pretty much where he started. Well, this movie is about aging and moving on, you know, also. It's about progressing and, and accepting that that process and you know that's just natural of course these guys should go someplace other than you know than the other the enterprise was a big chapter in their life but you know i can definitely tell that i've aged because i think bb besh is smoking hot in this and she used to remind me of my mom so something weird has has happened over time (laughs) you know what i mean you know now that you it's well it's her hair it's her hairstyle is very similar to your mom's. I don't think yeah. like any like you know facial wise or something. But you're right that that hair that hairstyle. Well, there's there's um definitely some '80s hair in this. Kirstie yeah. Alley is the the biggest culprit, or you know, yeah. Kirstie Alley's hairstylist is the biggest culprit in this. But uh, and now now whenever I look at David, I think of that Square Pegs TV show where he was Johnny Slash. I can't see him without getting really kind of bummed out because, well, actually, the whole movie does it to me in a a funny because I watch this movie now and I know this is incredibly morbid. I apologize. But I was watching this earlier today and every time someone would appear for the first time on the screen, I'm going dead, dead, (laughs) dead. There's so many people in this movie are dead now. You got, you know, you got um, Scott um, and McCoy McCoy are dead. Uh, Merritt Buttrick's been dead a good long while now. B.B. Besh has been dead for a number of years. I'm trying to remember how she died. I want to say car accident. I can't remember. I may be confusing her with Persis Kambata, who played Ilea. She's she dead, died. too? Oh, yeah. She's been dead a long time. Hey, she died in a car accident. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, not long after Star Trek The Motion Picture, I think. 
but uh yeah she's uh she's dead bb besh is dead um of course khan you know ricardo montalban's dead Mm -hmm. i think you walk him i can't remember that actor's name i think he's dead now you know what's funny too is i never noticed it before but i was reading something about this i think it was back when we were doing what was that crappy episode of Next Gen where both Merritt Buttrick and the guy who plays Joaquin... Um, oh, Joaquin, yeah, it was remember? where they were like drug addicts. They, drug, they had, drug addicts, yeah. Yeah, they had, the, they had this weird symbiosis sort of thing where this one planet made the medicine, the medicine that kept them alive. Right. But withheld the cure. I, uh, I was doing some research for that episode... And reading up, damn, I can't remember that actor's name. But anyway, he's never credited in this movie with that role. That role's not mentioned anywhere in the credits. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was at the request of that actor to be omitted from the credits, which is really strange. Anyway, whatever that guy's name is, I think he's gone now, too, if I'm not mistaken. And I, I'm not sure about Paul Winfield. He may be dead now too. I can't remember. You see, I like I like this part because, like the original TV show, here comes a little element of horror. You know, mm-hmm. a little creeping horror as they look around, and you're, you're starting to realize, okay. I always uh, love the fonts on the uh, belt buckle because it. There's nothing here that screams '60s TV show, but that moment right there does. Just the font on that belt buckle, yeah. I just thought looked very, you know, old school. Tra- I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh no, I wasn't. No, I don't think you interrupted me at all. No, yeah, you're totally right. Well, they had to match that up because it was sort of something you've seen before. You know what's the beautiful superimposed about this? sand makes me think. This the superimposed sand. Although these scenes remind me of Alien a lot. This is like the beginning of Alien. Remind me of Tuscan Raiders. They've always yeah. reminded me of Sand People in that part. That guy right there with the goatee, that's Kyle, the transporter chief from the original Star Trek. Oh, okay. Remember the one with uh, with Captain Christopher sure. and the Air Force uh, uh, policeman that gets beamed up? Mm-hmm. And he makes him chicken soup? That's the guy. Um, crap. What was I going to say? Oh, that guy right behind Terrell looks like uh, Will Ferrell. Did you see him? I never noticed that before. Doesn't he? Holy cow, he sure does. <laughs> this is a great yes. villain reveal. This is a classic villain reveal. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. The thing that really impressed me with this movie, and it continues to impress me today, is that you don't need to have seen Space Seed to totally understand and fall in love with this movie. No, it only I takes a few know. lines of dialogue, really. Yeah. I don't know that I had ever seen Space Seed when I saw this episode or saw this movie. And if I had, I had completely forgotten it. So years later, after you know becoming just you know, a loving fan of this movie, when the Star Trek series started to come out on videotape and I, I started buying them, I couldn't wait for Space Seed to come out because I, I couldn't remember it. So I bought Space Seed the day it came out on videotape, went home, watched it, and I have to be honest, 
I was very disappointed in it because it wasn't this. You know what I mean? Right. It's a good episode in its own right. It's actually one of the classic episodes. It's all about Ricardo Montalban, really, is yeah. mostly what's the highlight of that episode. Mm -hmm. But somehow I was I was expecting this. You know what I mean? As, as stupid an idea as that is, I was expecting it to be more like this. Now, let me ask you, do you think... A lot of his followers look too young. Well, maybe they don't. I was always thinking maybe this was another generation or something. Mm -hmm. But yes, they do. They they look a little less grizzled than they should be. They should have a little more. They've been in this horrible, hostile climate and on the verge of starvation. They shouldn't have. But then again, they're genetically, you know, they're superhumans. So maybe they, maybe, you know, maybe as you get Khan's age, you start aging a little more, but maybe it takes a little longer. You know what I mean? It takes, maybe these guys have another 40 years before they start wrinkling up or something. I mean, I, was I think kid. they purposely made that decision to make them look all kind of like they're in their 20s. Right. Because when I was a kid, that's how I used to interpret it, is that these were like the next generation of, exiles you know like like khan was almost like the 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 father at this point all the other and people that were, were khan's age were done were done they were all dead his original yeah. crew were dead and these were the kids and they probably made it because they were stronger and khan made it because he's khan but the math doesn't work they've only been right. there 15 years so the math on that doesn't work because like you joachim there would only be you know, realistically 13, 14 years old. Unless they grow like crazy, unless puberty's insane with these guys. I'm thinking it might be the other way around to where because they're genetically engineered supermen, that maybe their aging process is, is slightly retarded so that That's what I'm thinking. they're actually, you know, 30, 40 years old, yet they look like they're in their mid-20s kind of thing. Right. I think it, it's more likely like that. Whereas Khan, by the burden... He doesn't look that much. It's the it's all it's his hair that makes him. But when you look at him now, he doesn't have an awful lot of wrinkles. No, he's grizzled, but you know, man, he'd get a lot more grizzled. It's like he when you looks, look at Nimoy in this, he looks he still looks almost baby faced compared to the way he is now. You know. Yeah, it's true. I look at Khan here versus like how he looked in the old series, and it's almost like looking at. Uh, a president like toward the end of their term how it's just worn on them you know and, it's a and president mixed with the road warrior yeah yes <laughs> there's a lot of road warrior in this part and th there's a very star warsy part where he's got one black glove on and one bare hand That's maybe true. it's my yeah. opposite of michael jackson or something <laughs> Why? but i love how he just you know can he can just figure stuff out yep just by and and just simple things like this just the act of you could tell nicholas meyers and here's a a case with nicholas meyer where it's sort of similar with jj abrams it, even though star trek made money it was sort of portrayed as a flop or you know not really something that was like kickstarting the 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 you know the the whole thing 
and so they you know they bring in Nicholas Meyer who's a really good director but not like a Star Trek fan and no by his own admission he'd never seen Star Trek didn't, didn't really he was know asked about to do it this. yeah but damned if he didn't figure it out you know mm-hmm. damned if he didn't do his homework and and make one of as far as the like comparing it to the TV show I think this one and like three, this one and three are the most like the TV show, mm-hmm. you know, in, in feel and three had Nimoy directing it. So of course, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, whereas I don't think Abrams bothered to figure that out. I think he left it to the writers and I believe Nicholas Meyer is also a novelist. I, I mm-hmm. believe he's written yes. some novels. Yeah. So, you know, he's he's also got the mind of a writer in here, and it shows. It shows. This is, this has all the great, not just elements of science fiction, but drama. And it's a it's a movie, so it's got that movie feel. I mean, but they still they still let Montalbán chew the scenery. You know, and play some parts with broad strokes. But it's what's got neat something... is he's he's both chewing the scenery and being very subdued at the same yes. time, and that combination adds to that creepy factor. You know, yes. he he's not going on. You know, is, I mean, that whole I... thing was essentially a monologue, but it didn't feel like your stereotypical villain monologue of no, you're really... icon, you know, will rule the world. Here's my exposition. Everybody... Yeah. The, yeah. This scene, back to the horror, this scene is like, this scene has traumatized so many people. This is like something out of a David Cronenberg movie, you know, with the... With Do you the... remember they edited that when this got released for, for network television? They edited this scene. Heavily. That's right. That's right. It wasn't that. I, I'm trying to think of what they... They must have just edited the blood and the, them going yep. into the ears. Yeah. Yeah, because... They, they, they showed them... They showed the, you know, Khan dropping the bugs in there. Well, they're not bugs, but, you know, the creatures in there. Putting the helmets on. They showed the guys screaming, and that was pretty much it. They never actually showed them, like, crawling in the ear or any of that. It was all edited out. So See, this bizarre. is all stock footage mm-hmm. from uh, from the first film. It works well, though. I never knew it when I first saw it. So it no, I had no idea because I hadn't seen the first movie yet. I had, but I'd say but it, what still didn't put it together. You know, I just it's beautiful. I'm a I'm a movie sucker. If the movie's working and sucks me in. I won't notice that stuff till the second or third, till I start watching it more in a critical. I'm, if the movie doesn't even have to be great, but if a movie's good and movie like, I will go into my suspension of disbelief and just sort of ride with it and ask questions later. I was like you when when I took you to to see the Muppet Vision 3D and and you got all teary. I was like you today watching this because, you know, we have the big screen TV now and, uh, I sat down to watch this, and I guess I just didn't really think, oh, you know, I'm going to see the Enterprise again. You know, so seeing the Enterprise on the big screen and everything, it was just bringing tears to my eyes. Like, there's the Enterprise. <laughs> it was just awesome, you know. You know, Christy Alley was really hot back in those days. 
But now that I know like modern day Kirstie Alley, I can't see her like tracks, yeah. I can't see her and be like, mmm, Kirstie Alley. Hey, look, it's Escape from Witch Mountain. <laughs> Notice these guys, they're rednecks. <laughs> they're not red shirts. That's true. And they all got targets on their on their Tron outfits. I like porn stash guy right there. <laughs> Like all Star Trek, little, huh? Like all Star Trek movies, I'm assuming we're seeing a lot of nerds at one contests and are related <laughs> right. to, to people that are just like, yeah, we'll get you a, a walk on. And this is this is a great. That's a great. You see, there's a lot of great lines mm-hmm. that come back at the end. You know that 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 line. There, where she, where you know, he, she observes that Kirk is so human, you know, he's so human, and um, you know, spoiler alert: when we get to the end, when Kirk has his, you know, most human line, it cuts right over to Kirstie Alley, mm-hmm. and she's, and you know, it's a very subtle reaction. She just sort of like shifts her weight a little bit and wobbles around like uncomfortably, but you can tell she's hearing that and going. You know, oh my God! You know this person that's that is so incredibly human has just called Spock, you know, the most human person he's ever met. Right. And she was trying to digest that. You could tell. I love that. Mm -hmm. Light up the Enterprise and then kaboom onto the bridge. It's awesome. Well, I agree with you that it's fun now to look at this and, you know, they're supposed to be playing the aging crew. And now that we know where they are, we look at this and think, well, it's almost laughable. I still do see this and see. They're younger than us, yeah. aren't they? Aren't they right now? No, no. Shatner's. Oh, that's true. Shatner's got 50s. Be in 50s yeah. yeah, they're in their 50s by this point. Okay. <laughs> we're not far behind them, though. No, no, we're That's not. That's a scary thing for us. <laughs> but for me, with, with this one, honestly, you know, there's only a couple of them that I would peg as this is my favorite version of them because my favorite version of Kirk is the motion picture Kirk. I think he looks his most fit, trim, and just into it in that one. You know what I mean? By this one, I could see his trepidation with with being in this movie because he's starting to look a little old. He's starting to beef up a bit. Well, too. they I mean, very he's, wisely addressed that and made mm-hmm. it into the part into the movie. Oh, it's absolutely. The, and that's what you know, and that's good. If they pretended that these guys weren't getting older, it would just make it even more implausible by the time we got to four and five and six, you know? Absolutely. Which are a lot, you know, many years from this one. So. God, that's awesome. I have missed seeing the Enterprise on the big screen so much. And it's funny, this was the first merging of Star Wars and Star Trek, wasn't it? This is all in, like, the effects sequences in this are like especially most notably the battle at the end are industrial lights and magic for the new stuff yeah for this stuff here from the no, that's all swiped from the first movie the original this, stuff right 
this, I think, I want to say Dykstra. I could be wrong. I think it was all Dykstra. I forget what movie house it was. It was, uh, I guess, Paramount's. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the newer stuff, the Battle in the Matara Nebula and all that, yes, that was uh, ILM. Yep. It's a little yeah, cross, stream little crossing. Sharp and yeah. So J.J. Abrams directing a Star Wars movie isn't really the first it's true. stream crossing. It's not unheard of, I guess. But I would say the the couple that I think do look their best in this one, I think Sulu does. I think he looks really good in this one. He looks and, about uh, the same as he did in the series. Yeah. And I think uh, I think Nimoy. I think Nimoy. This is my favorite turn of his as Spock because by this one, it feels to me like he's finally kind of come to terms with both halves of his nature. There, there's not really yes. any parts of this movie that are tied up with that same old story, which I liked. I, I liked by this point, you know, while there aren't any direct references to the first movie, I feel like that's almost an indirect reference that he got it all out of his system with V'ger and the revelation he had toward the end of that movie and all. And now we're seeing the kind of, you know, we're seeing Spock, you know, we're, he's, we're he's seeing, cool, you know? We're, we're, yeah, they, they, I mean, they very wisely, um, you know, these movies are character based and they very wisely gave Spock an arc, which was Spock has, you know, I don't want to say perfected himself, but he's come to terms with himself and, mm -hmm. you know, he's, he's at this ideal place. And then they, this movie gives him a way out, you know. So, and and with Kirk's line, it's it's almost a Pinocchio story of Spock becoming a human, and until to to you know, the point where his final act is very human and very Vulcan at the same time, sort of an ultimate symbolic act of his character. It was perfect, mm -hmm. and then it could have been really stupid when they brought him back. But they continued to work on his character for the most part. No, you know, I mean, I think as far as character, you know, treating the characters of Star Trek and giving them something, a big, you know, um, turning point in their life, this movie mm -hmm. was the one. This movie and City on the Edge of Forever are the, in, in terms of like, real drama drama those are the two that set the precedent for it yeah everything else were little colorful things that happened to him in adventures but uh you know this one both of them are very you know just huge kirk in kirk's life you know huge events right. in kirk's life when the the death of edith keeler and the death of spock and uh you know, there's really nothing, I and you know how could and this was a really interesting scene too, mm -hmm. where you know the the this scene makes a lot more sense with the Romulan side of her too, because she seems kind of like she's gonna hit on him, yeah, and he kind of he's kind of doing the sort of like all right, let's see where this is going. You know, you can see his whole posture just going like. All right, you know, the subtext under their stuff. But she's in an outfit that almost mirrors, like, a bathrobe or something you'd be wearing to bed, you know. And she's got mm -hmm. her hair down. 
and it's just very it's 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 a strange scene. Now see, he's giving her a little uh, flash yeah, her a little smile. Yeah, he's turning on the charm. And and this scene, yeah, definitely gives more credence to that she's supposed to have a little Romulan in her. <laughs> and then here comes the cockblocker. Called it an elevator though, which I always I'm both amused and uh, it also hits that nitpicker button in me too. <laughs> I mean, DeForest Kelly looks not too far from the TV show. This was the last time I thought he looked really good. From here on, he aged fast. I mean, he's starting to look a little, you know, he's getting there with this one, but he's not really aged yet. You know what I mean? Right, right. He's getting there. But the next movie, I, I really remember going to see uh, Star Trek Three and thinking, wow. <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be just like a few months later, but he, he definitely, you could see every iota of the, you know, of the years between the films that, uh, that he had aged between those films. And this was also one of the first science fiction movies. And this has become a trope and just a standard thing of the garbled signal coming through. Mm-hmm. Star Trek, the TV show, used to do it, but this this sort of set up the visual, right? Um, mostly, and also in Star Trek One, you know, where you would see something, and then you would see, sort of see the digital fuzz out as they get blown up, and that that's become that's in a, so many movies these days. I know somebody's going to probably call me out for it, so I'll go ahead and point it out right here that that model that we just saw a moment ago of the regular one space station, that was the the little space dock or the little midway point station in Earth orbit in the first movie where, remember, Kirk can't beam directly to the Enterprise, Mm -hmm. so he beams to that station and then takes the shuttle pod over with Scotty. Right. It's the same station. They just flipped it upside down to make it the space station in this movie. Yeah, well, maybe they, you know, maybe they're just pumping them out at a plant somewhere, and space again cares. saving money. You know. Yeah, in space, <laughs> upside down, right side up, it doesn't matter. I like Spock's quarters. Yeah, it's funny how it's very well designed that it's sort of half spare and half flashy, kind of, you know? He's got... I like this scene a lot. I always... I always like that mirror, his cheesy infinity mirror. Right. You know? But I always liked how when Kirk comes in and he's reflected in the infinity mirror over it. But look at that. There's He, he keeps almost smiling. and He's dialed way, way back yep. in this. And I think that helps. I think that really helps the picture that... Uh, He's he's not doing his his Shatner thing quite so much, you know. He, he's getting a chance to really show that he can act here because Meyer was just infinitely patient with this movie. You know, he kept working with Shatner. He kept making him do retakes and things 
to get the performance out of him that he wanted so that he wasn't just hamming it up, you know, right. and, and being Shatner that he was acting. And I like that. I think some of the uh, some of the later ones could have benefited a little bit more from that. Oh yeah, he. I mean, really, he doesn't really. I mean, he does get to sort of go over the top in this one, but it's really called for when he does. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. It's, appropriate it makes sense. Oh, yeah. Well, it plays into the part, too, is that, you know, if, if you buy the whole premise of this, that this is an aged Kirk who's starting to feel his age, then by dialing back his performance and not letting him do so many of the hammy bits that he'd kind of become stereotyped for from the series, then that lends into the maturity of the character, that he's he's toned down, he's matured. He's a little and, tentative at this point, too, because yeah. he's not sure, you know, whereas he's, he's, he could advance, you know, he's kind of old to advance the ranks of Starfleet, mm -hmm. and he, he only knows the adventures, space adventures are going to get harder and harder from this point on, so what do you do, you know? Especially when you've had so many, and, you know, you saved the universe so many times. The thing that uh, that I've always wanted to get it to be addressed in this, and it, and it has been here and there, but I'm still waiting for like that definitive story. Is the in between years between the first movie and this? Because one of the things that bugs me now that I know the first movie so well is that there are certain character beats that don't. I won't say they don't measure up, but it's like, how did you get from here to there? And one of the big ones is that Kirk fought so hard to regain command of the Enterprise in the first movie. Why did he ever give that up? Why is he right back in the same situation in this movie that he was in the first movie where he's back in the Admiralty and chafing against it because what he really wants to be doing is out there you know flying the enterprise and and you know having these adventures and to that angle it makes mccoy uh inconsistent as a character because in the first movie he was the one that kept he was like jiminy cricket kept going to kirk and being like you know you shouldn't be so oh by the way i wanted to point this out this was bugging me today you know, for all as advanced and all the money they spent to, to beef this setup and everything and make it more, look more futuristic, more quote unquote realistic, that sort of thing. Look at the panel that Kirstie Alley is working with. There. I know. <laughs> it's essentially a Simon. So, what the hell function could those lights possibly serve to just constantly be strong? And wouldn't that make you nuts as you're trying to sit there and work? Yeah, just having it, it would sort of put you into a semi-hit and probably not going nodding off halfway through their shift. <laughs> exactly. You know? Imagine having to sit there for eight, you know, an eight-hour shift and you're trying to work and you've got a Simon sitting in front of you and the light pattern just keeps randomly flashing the entire... That would make you nuts. They, nobody had thought of the touchscreen. Nobody had really thought, interpolated the touchscreen up to this point until next generation, you know? Mm -hmm. 
so everything was still buttons. Even so, if you were all but even the stuff we had in the seventies and stuff that was buttons, they those buttons weren't that big. Are the sides of this screen that she's taught is that a cartoon or you know like a a drawing? It almost looks like a graphic, doesn't it? Yeah, it doesn't quite look real to me. It never it never has. It's always looked hand drawn somehow, and it just changed the color too. If I'm not mistaken, I believe this was the most computer-sophisticated graphic oh, yeah. ever created up to this point. They, they were making a big deal about it, like there's a whole sequence, and it was all, the special effects were all done on a computer rather than, you know, drawn by animators. Although I think there were animators involved in the little, little parts of it, but I think this whole thing was like one of the, you know, I know I've talked about this before, but this entire sequence right here, the Genesis Effect sequence, there was a, um, I believe it was a Japanese game, if I'm not mistaken, but there was a video game that uh, was out in very limited yes. release that ripped off footage willy-nilly from Star Trek films, and it, it ripped off this entire sequence Yes, was on the attractor for the game. It was... Um... They had that, the in, the, that in the convenience store in Carthage, mm -hmm. where they had Dragon's Lair at one point. Yeah, and it had to, you saw the Enterprise go into into a warp yep, speed into warp. at one yep. point. It was one of the earliest laserdisc games. I've seen it on eBay. It fetches a pretty penny when it uh, when it's listed on I eBay. Imagine. I can't for the life of me remember the name of that game. Well, it was one of those games where when it came out, we were like, holy cow, this must be the greatest thing in the world. But it didn't play very well, but it played better than Dragon's Lair because you actually had a spaceship and you were shooting at asteroids. You were flying down like a rock chasm at one point. Right. What the hell is that thing on the wall? What do you mean? It, it 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 all looks like just detailing from like inside of a car, right? But I mean, or inside a van, you know, a fancy seventies van. It does. It looks like one of those love vans from the seventies. Cordoba. The, yeah, it it's all finished with rich Corinthian leather. <laughs> it actually looks like it's nacelles full of bamboo. Is what it looks like. Yeah. That's funny. Like it, it actually, it looks like kind of, and this is accurate. This is great for the Enterprise. It it, it kind of looks like maybe the inside of a hull of a ship. Mm-hmm. Which is what it is actually. Yeah. I do like the look though. I love how DeForest Kelly always is standing like he's gonna just take a swing. <laughs> a great scene between them and he calls him inhuman and and you know there's all these you know they build on that human thing with spock all through the movie it's just try the emergency channel well i like i i've often heard this uh this movie described as essentially it's a submarine it's submarine warfare yes and i think that's a very apt comparison yeah I, and the inside of, of the enterprise is very dark and subdued you know almost claustrophobic yes. in a lot of ways i like that this is a great sequence well like we said way back when we talked about it this is a weird movie because 
Kirk and Khan never get together. Right. If this was made today. They would have. They would have to have a fist fight. Mm-hmm. Kirk himself would have to, you know, drive something through Khan's heart. Right. In order to do this, but I like this. This, this everything that goes down in this doesn't go down like too conveniently for the story. It just sort of goes down. You know. There's well, you know, you, you bring up an interesting point because I think a lot of the problem with all of the rest of the Star Trek movies that have ever been is that I think essentially, except for, say, three and four, which were building on, you know, the story created with this one, because three and four, to me, combined with this one, form a trilogy. Yes. That's what I like about yes. those movies. But after that, I, I really feel like a lot of the movies are chasing Wrath of Khan. Like they were just trying to do it over and over and over again. And I don't think any of them ever really succeeded. It's one of the reasons that it really drives me nuts when I hear people compare um, First Contact to this. That that you know, First Contact is the next gen's Wrath of Khan. It doesn't it doesn't hold a candle. It's it who's crying, who's crying during First Contact exactly. And you know, one of the the reasons, one of the big reasons. I love that graphic. That's great. I love that whip over to Kirk. Ah, this is so awesome. It's awesome. Hi-ya! This is the only time in all six of the classic Star Trek movies, you know, with the classic crew, this is the only time you ever see phasers fired. Really? Would not see phasers fired again by an Enterprise until um, generations. Wow. I wonder if there's a reason for that. I don't know. I've often that. wondered that. I've often wondered that. But every other time from here on out that the Enterprise, after this movie, every other time that the Enterprise is in battle, if it fires, it fires torpedoes and never fires the phasers again. <laughs> Scotty's got Randy hair in this shot. <laughs> <laughs> Those bangs just plastered to his head. Well, Randy in high school hair. I don't. Yeah. I, I can't speak for Randy now. Is he bald headed like me? He's bald now. Yeah. He's been slapped bald headed finally. Oh my God! If we ever get together, that'll be quite a visual sight. Visual. Sulu divert all power to phases. Too late. Hang on. I like how it curves as it comes mm-hmm. in, too. That's cool. It That's put a some great English effect. on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, this is just so beautifully edited and, and mm-hmm. shot. It is. It's beautiful. It's so, how long are we into it? We're an hour into it, so we're about halfway into the movie. It's, bu- it's taken this long to really build into the conflict of the movie. But... Well, I they just don't make them like this anymore. You know, everything now has got to be a lot of a, a lot of shock and awe, and a lot of flash, and a lot of big action and big set pieces. And 
they don't take the time to just get into the characters. No, this this this, mo- this movie's getting action packed. It's about to slow down again pretty soon here. Yep. You've had the big moment, and now we're going to get some more character development. Shatner's reaction is just yeah, priceless. The first just parts with his eyes, and then his mouth just goes well. Yeah. This shot here, the shot of Khan, it's very subtle, but that shot there totally reminds me of 60s TV show, Mm -hmm. with the door behind him, the colored door, and then they cut back to Kirk, which is sort of the opposite, it's the more modern movie... Yeah, you know, red background. It's great. It's 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 basically saying here's the past coming to haunt you right now. Here's the here's the new Kirk. But look, this is like a mirror from you know the original series. I love it. Yep. I really really don't have any major quibbles with this movie. I have a few little ones, but one that always does occur to me. I wish that. Maybe amongst Khan's people, there had been some uh, a few more visual elements from the original series. Like maybe somebody wearing a, a, an old ripped up version, you know, an old worn out version of one of the the crew, right? Or something like, you know what I mean? Or somebody with uh, I don't know, an old school phaser or something, you know, something like that. But they they never go that route, probably for the better. But I would have liked that. But Lord knows that after this, you know, the the Star Trek mythos was de- most definitely milked for every callback that they could possibly come up with, you know. Which I can't help but feel kind of steals from this a little bit, you know, because that's that was the novelty of this one is that it it incorporated the TV show. You know, it, it didn't shy away from it. It acknowledged it, brought an element forward and made an awesome movie out of it. I, and, I like that. And it didn't go for the obvious things from the TV show. Right. So, like tribbles, <laughs> you know, right. it wasn't, it wasn't somebody, you know, nobody went, Oh, of course, con, you know? Right. And at the same time, he was a strong enough villain that the people who'd never even seen the TV show. I love this where you can see them planning in the background. I was thinking about this today, though, is that this seems like an inconsistent level of technology right here. What do you mean? That all he's got to do is turn his back or lower his voice and mumble a little bit, and the and the the you know the speaker pickups don't you know the microphones don't pick up what they're saying. I mean, would it, wouldn't it be a lot safer and a lot easier to just you know nod to her and be like you know make the little slashy motion across your throat you know cut off the hit audio the kind button. of thing? Yeah, yeah, hit the mute button. Instead, they just sit there and mumble. And there's one point where. The screen, you know, no, Kirk's not standing in front of Savick. And Savick looks up and says, Reliance Command, which if Khan had been paying attention, would have been the tip-off right there to what they were trying to do. So, yeah, that, that always bugs me a little bit. I can't. I can't. 
Do it. <laughs> Fire. Bzz. Fire. Bzz. I love that. But that's great. That that it, we just saw a great reversal here. You know, we're all of a sudden. You know, it, we're really seeing the two hams ham off. You know, we got to see Mothman's face <laughs> ham off. Do I the equivalent it. of the of the face that Kirk made when he first saw him. You know, when right he realized that Kirk's got some. I love that. Oh, that's just yep. I remember, I can't remember if it was Regal Cinemas. One of the cinemas had a montage that they used to show of just like movies through the, you know, it was just a cuts of all these classic movie scenes. And one was that shot of the Reliant going across the Enterprise yes, like that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I remember that. Yeah. So, you know, this is, this is in the realm of classic movies, period. That's a great visual moment. It's a great character moment. It's not strong on the logic. Why exactly it, did it, Scotty bring him to the bridge if for no other reason than to throw it in Kirk's face? Look what you did. But then that never really plays out because not long after this death scene, the next time we really see Scotty in a, in a real moment, He's kind of happy and cheerful again. You know, yeah. he said, the Energizer's bypass like a Christmas tree, so don't give me too many bumps. You know, and it's like uh, that sounds more like Sean Connery than Scotty. Well, but this, you know what I mean. This was another. This was another one of those things where this was a plot line that got thinned down, wasn't it? Like he was. Yes. He's related yeah. to Scotty. He was he's like his, his nephew. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it makes more sense. And I think by the time. I think we were reading the books and all that, so we we knew all that. You know, we were nerds. Right. We were big nerds. We we figured out all that stuff, and uh, I remember reading about that in the Star Trek II um, magazine that came out. You know, the the movie tie-in that came out with this that they always put out in those days. The glossy, I think Starlog used to print them. It's amazing Scotty as a character. Now, I'm not talking about James Dewan. I'm talking about the character of Montgomery Scott. It's amazing he ends up living as long as he does because by the looks of him in this scene right here and later in the movie, it seems like he got a pretty healthy dose of radiation. Radiation. Yeah. <laughs> this damn thing down here at the bottom of the screen with the fluorescent tube just going diddle, diddle, diddle back and forth. Yeah will make dozens of appearances <laughs> in Star Trek beyond this movie. And it's, like in the next all over next gen. Stuff. Yes. Yeah. It's constantly in next gen. Yes. And no idea what it does. I thought that guy was beaten on the panel there for a minute. He's wiping it clean. <laughs> I thought he was beaten on it like work, damn it. <laughs> Fixing it like my grandfather used to fix right. things. Everything he fixed everything with a hammer. Oh, that's right. Kirk's got the spot of blood on him now. Yeah, I like that. Right over his heart. These two have great moments together, Kirk and Spock. The, this was one of the best callbacks to the series, in my opinion, was these the, the interactions between these two in this 
reminded me a lot of those moments in the classic series where he would walk up to Spock Station and they'd have their little discussion off to the side. You see, I think Kirstie Alley Savick in this was just another... There, there seemed to always be this attempt, and I don't think it really happened until, what's his name, Tuvok, mm-hmm. where they really got that 100% Vulcan character. You know, the, the, I think that's what Roddenberry, he, I can't remember what his name was supposed to be in, in the, the second, the, you know, the new TV show that was originally. Oh, uh, um, st- uh, I was going to say Stan, that's not right. It, um, uh, crap. And he was in the comics too. He was in the DC. Zahn? Zahn. Zahn? And, and yeah. they wanted to have this whole thing where he had Zahn and everybody was going to go, oh, another Spock. But he was going to be a hundred percent Vulcan, and they were going to go, "Oh, this is a different thing altogether." You know, right. you were going to actually see more of why Spock was half human by seeing a contrasting full Vulcan, right? And that never really seemed to, and I am seemed ex- to be like an attempt at it. You know, I'm extremely, extremely critical of other actors playing Vulcans because generally. They either go off in their own direction and it rings hollow or they try too hard to emulate Leonard Nimoy and it falls flat. I haven't and so seen much of my... Tuvok, but what I've seen of him, he's, that, that actor seems to get it down. He nailed it. He's, he's one of the very few that I felt really, really nailed what I would imagine a full Vulcan would be like. Because in my mind, it's him... Mark uh, Mark Leonard as Spock's father, I thought was always great. He was always a, a real treat to see, you know, as a Vulcan. He really felt like more horror. Yeah. This is definitely the one of the, well, probably the most. Um, I don't want to say horror, but you know, the more. Because oh, yeah. it has these elements to it. You know, there's blood, there's a little bit of gore, there's some real horror. We, I'm trying to think, but off the top of my head, I don't think we ever really get this again in Star Trek. No. Not to this level, you know what I mean? To a, to it really feels like a PG movie. The other ones are PG for, you know, language or, you know... Well, the original TV show had many horror elements to it. Oh, no? Definitely. I that mean, whole sequence right there always reminded me, especially in the music, always reminded me a lot of uh, Devil in the Dark. You yeah. know, it's a, it's a dark, creepy scene, and people die or, or are dead, you know. Well, they were always going someplace and finding a bunch of bodies, you know, horribly mm-hmm. killed people. And I always wondered about uh, there, there's a documentary on the uh, on the Blu-ray that uh, Paul sent me. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. But there's a documentary on there with um, James Horner. I'm very anxious to li- to watch and listen to that because I'm hoping it talks about Horner's influences in this because I'm wondering, did he draw any inspiration or anything or, or do deliberate callbacks to the original series or did he just basically score his own movie because... There's moments in this, especially that scene with McCoy wandering through dark corridors. The music to me feels like it's a callback, a subtle callback to the original series. No, I, totally I don't agree. know that for sure. I totally agree. 
I think musically, this this is the closest. The soundtrack to this is the closest to the music of the the original TV show, which I have the pleasure of listening to quite a bit lately, as I do score all the Star Trek Monthly Monday episodes. So and. I listen actually a lot of it in my spare time too because I just love it. I love Paul Winfield. I, I'm trying to. Mm. I'm really struggling to remember if he's still alive or not. But uh, was it? I always what liked, sitcom was he in? He was in a sitcom. Was he in a sitcom? Yeah. I always remember him best as he was the. I don't know what he's supposed to be. I don't know if he's supposed to be lieutenant deputy or whatever. But he's uh, in um, the the first Terminator movie. It was him and... Um, I don't remember that at all. Oh, you don't remember that? Yeah, he's in the Terminator. When they when they finally capture Reese... It's, a disco, it's the disco transport. Yeah, I know it. There needs to be a beatbox going in the background. <laughs> well, plus, that transporter pad, or the transporter control thing looks like it's a leftover from, like, Space 1999 or something. Yeah, like. yeah, very Space 1999. But, yeah, he, uh, it's him, and I'm trying to remember who the hell the other guy was. Oh, it was, uh, it was Lance. Ah, what's his name? He was in Close Encounters. He was in Aliens. Henriksen? Henriksen, Lance Henriksen, and Paul Winfield are the two like the the head cops at the at the police station before the Terminator shows up and starts shooting up the place. Huh. Remember when they're interrogating yeah. Reese at the police station? Paul Winfield's like like the head cop, and then Henriksen's like his little toady guy. And then when when Schwarzenegger shows up. Winfield grabs like a sawed-off shotgun or something and starts pumping rounds into the Terminator. Terminator turns around and just shoots him like a dozen rounds with a like an Uzi or something. He goes ah and like collapses <laughs> to the floor basically, you know. Yeah, yeah he, that, doesn't have, that, he does that and, a lot uh, in movies, I guess. <laughs> he came back to Star Trek. I, I want to say a couple of times, but at least one time that I know of, it was a really excellent episode of Next Gen. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not. It's a really good episode where Picard winds up down on this planet. It's him and the captain of an alien vessel. And they can't communicate with each other because it turns out that the the language of the other race, the language of the other captain, they speak entirely in metaphor. And... Picard just can't get the he can't, he takes a long time to figure it out. Eventually they, you know, they do find each other and they, you know, learn to communicate. But Paul Winfield played the alien captain in that one. I, damn it, I can't remember the name, but that's one of the best episodes of Next Gen. Really really good. I episode. don't think I've seen it. it. Sounds a little like that movie Enemy Mine. Yeah, uh, it, it's very similar to that. It, very similar. Well, have you seen that there's there's a internet meme that goes around from time to time and it's Picard wearing like a wife beater and he's jamming on a guitar and it says something something at Tanagra yes it's, it's from that episode ah. that was, part of that was the name of that episode I, can't, I just can't remember what it is off the top of my head because it's late and I'm tired I don't want to hurt you he was ready to just knuckle him too I know I love that the Kirk's first meeting of his son is a fist fight 
Well, that was something I was going to talk about a little fist bit clenched. here. <laughs> I get the impression, based off the dialogue, that this may not be the first time. That this may be the first time he's seeing him in a very long time. But there was a piece of dialogue earlier in the movie where David said to his mother, remember that overgrown Boy Scout you used to hang around with? And he's talking about Kirk, right. which leads me to believe he had to have met Kirk at some point in the past and Kirk made a bad impression on him. You know what I mean? But that's one of the things I really like about this movie is that it doesn't give you everything. It leaves a lot of stuff open to interpretation, yeah. and it makes, you know, it, it's like we we always talk about how comics used to be, where you could pick up a comic, and I didn't need to be spoon-fed. I liked right off the bat that I could pick up, like, say, Spider-Man, and right off the bat feel like, wow, this has a, a, a world and a history to it that I want to learn more of. I want to delve into these darker corners of this and, and really get the, the, the whole picture. I think that's probably the biggest reason I got sucked into Star Trek with this movie is because of that, you know, right off the bat, obviously with Khan, there's obviously a backstory here. You know, there's obviously, there was a prior meeting between these characters. I wanted to learn more about Mm -hmm. that. But also this thing with, you know, Kirk and his son and, and his ex-girlfriend or whatever she's supposed to be. I love that moment. That's great. I remember listening to the tape of that all the time, like, ah, yeah. that scream that he made. We use that in, our, I think, our Star Wars parodies a lot. A lot, yeah. <laughs> For when someone died. Yeah, this was pretty intense in the movies. I like that McCoy used his space laser pointer to get the thing out of Chekhov's ear, too. I love the sound the new phasers make. Uh huh. I never really much cared for the look of the new phaser. Look at the look on his face. He's so pissed. <laughs> Here comes. Here comes a ham. They've been they've been bringing on the early courses, the salad and stuff, but now the main course of ham comes <laughs> <laughs> comes wheeled out to the table. Now I, I want to speak directly to the listeners for a minute. I want confirmation on something so that I know that I'm not nuts. I swear that when I taped this off from HBO. And if I can find the actual tape, Chris, I'll send it to you so that you can put it in the show sometime just as proof. But I don't know if it exists anymore. But I swear that when I used to watch this on HBO and the part where he screams Khan, he screams Khan and then it goes to that image of regular one and we hear it repeated echo. again in echo. And then in the HBO version, it's echoed again. So he screams Khan, echo Khan, echo Khan again. And then you get that reaction of Khan having like his little orgasmic moment there. <laughs> In every video version I've seen since, whether it was videotape, DVD, and now Blu-ray, he screams Khan, there's one echo, and then there's a weird like... I, just a sound after that, but it's not like a, a weird garbly sound. Yeah. 
And that it makes me a little crazy because that anal retentive part of me says there's a different cut out there that exists. Mm-hmm. I love this look. <laughs> he just gets all. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's Khan's great. just like, oh, yes. That guy behind Khan looked like he was wearing a giant waffle suit. Did you notice that? Like a big ego suit or something. It was weird looking. <laughs> He's working outside Waffle House, dancing with his sign, trying to get cars in. <laughs> but, you know, I, I wonder how much of, like, his yelling back and forth, you know, I mean, we discussed this when we talked about 2 and 3, is, is you know, him just feeding Khan a line of crap. You know, yeah. even even the scream, he knew... That would make Khan happy for a little while to like, right. I'll make him think he's got my goat so he can gloat up there for a little while and buy me some, buy me some time. I'm very impressed that as clunky and awkward as those jackets are and appear to be that they kept them because they're essentially the same ones that they had in the first movie. It's one of the very few pieces of tech that they mm-hmm. seem to have carried over from the first movie to this one. You know, obviously the enterprise and the inside of the enterprise is the same, but a lot of the other stuff changed. I like that. This one has is what I, to be honest, I like this one has cheaper sets and, you know, it looks like a studio where they've put some cylinders on the floor and we're in mm-hmm. the underground space station, you know. The rocks are a little less plastic rocky looking that they were in in but still they're still there. I like that. I like that I do too. It's, it's got kind of that T V feel to it. Yeah. Not completely, I, I, but just yeah. around the edges. Yeah, it's it's not technicolor Batman looking, you know, weirdness, but at the same rate, it's not super CGI teched out and everything. It doesn't distract. I mean, it gives right. you just as much as you need to say this is Star Trek and then has to fill it in with great acting so that well, you're not right. laughing at it. And that's what uh, that is Star Trek to me. And yes. when you go overboard with the special effects and super detailed CGI bullshit in the background and all, all that to me you're kind of missing the point is that now you don't need great acting, great story and all that to carry it. Now you're trying to let the visual and the wow factor carry it. And that's not Star Trek to me because that's Star Wars. Star Wars, for all its awesomeness, can get away with shitty acting moments or bad actors, you know, in well, look, certain roles because these it's two have been sitting and talking around. for about four minutes now, mm-hmm. you know, that's not going to happen in any new star Trek movie. If they have any kind right. of conversation where they're getting this stuff back and forth, it's either going to be done real quickly or they're going to be flying a spaceship with shit flying all around them while it's happening. Or it's all, you know, snarky, new agey style, you know, Dawson Creek bullshit. And yeah, no, yeah. this is two people standing in a room. They're talking. Look at the, 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 the body language. You know, they got her. They're, they're removed from each other. You know, he can't even look at her. It's, it's I love this scene. I yes. really do. This is one of my favorites because this is one of the most both human and realistic moments of Trek, because I think any man 
that's ever gotten to a certain age and really reflected on his life, especially if you've ever been at a down moment of your life, I think this is one of those rites of passage of being a man where there's moments of your life that you look back and think about the might have been's. And this is that moment for Kirk where he's confronted. He's literally confronted face to face with probably the biggest might have been of his entire life. What if he had been there for this son? You know, well, that's and, and, the thing is he's getting old and like he's thinking about aging and his career and his future and his past. And then all of a sudden this shows up, you know, and he obviously like he and Carol Marcus didn't break up because they hated each other and got in a fight or something. It was just, you know, Kirk was doing his Kirk thing and she was doing she was as much a Kirk as him, you know? Yeah. And doing her. What do you, you uh, what do you think of uh, Carol Marcus as a character? I think she's a great character. I think that Carol Marcus and David Marcus, to a lesser extent, were genius. In that, if they were introducing them, and and uh, it's kind of unfair to keep comparing this to modern movies. But even in those days, that looks like a um, Maxfield Parish painting. I miss matte paintings. Can I be honest? Oh I, yeah, I really do. I you know the more CGI'd out we get all the time, the more and more I miss the simpler days of a great matte painting. I and I, you know, I actually long for the days when you had not only a great matte painting, but you can look at it and go, "Holy cow, that's awesome." Hey, that's a matte painting. I don't mind that I know yeah. that. You know, I can appreciate it on the level of somebody had to paint somebody that. Somebody did a great job and, on it. And did a great. Yeah, I I miss it. I really do. I pray to God that somebody involved with the new Star Wars movies that are going to be coming along decides to dial back and do you know and go. I mean, I don't want him to go completely retro old school, but at the same time, I hope there's a lot more old school practical stuff in these new movies than well, than you know we got you know with the with the last three. Honestly, because I think that lends to the credibility, the believability, and the timelessness of a movie like this one. I mean, does this movie feel 30 years old to you? Because, I don't know, maybe it's just the me. Hairstyles, and hairstyles, dude. Oh, you know, well, yeah, the hairstyles. But but that's about it. Um, anyway, back to Carol Marcus. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, they could have made Carol and David like, oh, now we're going to have a love interest for Kirk. Mm-hmm. And now we have Son of Kirk. And, you yep. know, Son of Kirk will eventually come over to Kirk's side and then they can have adventures together. It wasn't meant to be like that. You know, right. they, they come, you know, it, it, it's not a forced, you know, they're not forcing these. They're organically introduced into the story and they, well, you know, David more dramatically, but they just sort of both leave the story. You know, it, it, they don't need to be there forever since they're introduced in here which i think would have been done a lot then and today you know in just lazier writing yep and back then i was kind of disappointed by that i was like hey where'd carol marcus go i thought she and kirk were in love but i was a kid back then too and didn't realize that hey they could be in love and not together you know right yeah can't be together 
that it's actually more mature of them not to be together. Um. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was. Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't know if the d decision to have David killed in the next movie, what the reasoning was for it, if it was pure plot or if it was because the actor maybe not wasn't into doing movie after movie, but. It. I had always. This is purely me. I don't think I ever read anything to validate this. But I always got the feeling it had more to do with the fact that um, Merritt Buttrick had a had a terminal illness. That's uh, what I always thought. But then again, you know, he lived for you know several years beyond um, Star Trek Three. You know, as for, I'm trying to remember what year Star Trek Three came out. That had to be about eighty four, I think. Yeah, and I mean that that. Um... Because this is what? This is that, that next gen he was on had to have been about 88. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm probably wrong, but that was always the... That guy there looks like he's lost, doesn't he? He's, he's looking around like, guys, what like, am I supposed to be doing? I'm, I'm, I don't know. I just walked in the wrong door. What's going on? I <laughs> <laughs> love the cheesy costumes these guys have got. They look like a... Like a, some grunge rock band or it's, something. It's total Road Warrior influence. Road Warrior, yeah. I mean, and and, and the the rock band thing comes from they, they they actually they look more like Tom Petty and his in the Heartbreakers trying to look Road Warrior <laughs> than the actual Road Warrior. Yeah, they look like they should be. What was the name of that video where they went off into the desert and found a tent full of video games? Yeah, um, puberty love is hard to find. You got lucky. <laughs> yeah, that was it. You got lucky, dude. We used to love that video. Whenever that I came did, out, yeah. we were just like, all right, it's that one, because it had that creepy beginning where they, Explain it to yep. they, they... They had their space motorcycles and all that, yeah. Yep, and they just pulled the plastic off all the equipment and it started working. <laughs> Play a little song and then back off to desert nomadic life. I noticed today watching this, that little moment there where uh, McCoy was reading his magazine in the waiting room or whatever it is, the, the door actually said Commander Leonard, or it said L. McCoy. I think that's one of the few times that his, rank, his military rank is ever referenced. They are reducing speed. <laughs> I love the look on Ricardo Montalban's face. You're on, Admiral. And Kirk's going to... He's going to poke him now. He's starting to get his Kirk sweat on his face. He's starting to get that Shatner sheen on his face. Yeah. So he's going to poke the dragon now. I'm laughing. <laughs> I love the look on his face. Kirk's or Khan's pissed. I'll, I'll bet you the first take Shatner sort of went, ha, 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 Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell me no, you little bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Gun it! <laughs> I always like that line from Shatner, or from uh, Nimoy. I mean, also had a lot of good old-fashioned bridge shaking. Yep. 
How the hell did he know which one of those light bright pegs to press to get the lights to turn on when <laughs> none of them are labeled? Yeah, rope memorization. That's how they do them at Starfleet. I guess, but I mean, I've been typing for 20 years. <laughs> He's I still got a little letters on the keyboard, you know? Yeah, me too. I'm not hunting peck anymore, but still, I got to look at the keyboard to do it. <laughs> I like the guy in the background that looks like one of the Gumbies. <laughs> My brain hurts! <laughs> it does, so it looks like John Cleese. I'm reducing speed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think! <laughs> oh. I mean, I don't eat squirrels, do I? You're not <laughs> going to see any more. I bet you're not going to see any space mullets on Khan in, in the oh, Star yeah. Trek. But I he, love that shot. That shot is he just... looks like... Um, I know you wouldn't know the character, but there's a character in um, Star Trek Enterprise that keeps coming. Every couple of episodes, he comes and he pesters Archer. And he starts out and he's a member of the Enterprise crew, but it, then it turns out that he's not really. He's actually a time traveler from the future that's there to kind of guide Archer and kind of point him in the right direction and stuff because there's this big overarching story going on that involves time travel. And that character, that actor that plays that character and the actor that's playing Khan in the new movie, that Benedict Arnold or whatever the hell his name is, <laughs> looks Bur like the same friggin' guy. And it that distracts me like crazy. I love this. Kirk has eaten this with a spoon. Mm-hmm. That Here's, scene with this flash coming up right reminds here, me of Beecher. It reminds me of J.J. Abrams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to stop referencing Abrams now, I promise. But this moment right here is one of the ones that makes me nuts in this movie. Is like, why not just continue what you're doing and, and veer to the side to get out? Why turn the ship long ways to give Khan the biggest target possible? Right. Why the hell did they do that? So they could get that shot away, I guess. I'm gonna get this styrofoam set piece off of you. Uh, yep. I love it. The good old fashioned hanging wires from the ceiling. It doesn't just push it to the side, he's gotta chuck it all the way across yep. the bridge. <laughs> I'm just too drunk to. <laughs> it's. It's Romulan it's ale. Brandy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, watch when, when Khan goes to hug this guy. Watch his eyes. Keep watching his eyes. Keep Khan's eyes or this guy? Oh, there eyes. he goes. Oh. Even though he's dead, he still closes his eyes so that uh, Khan's hair doesn't poke him or something. <laughs> <It's> a hug. <laughs> a hair kept. <laughs> And I like this right here. I think this is very clever how he kind of stumbles his way. Oh, because you can tell his inner ear would have been affected. Yes. You know, so his balance is off. I like that. That's and very... he's probably just a little punchy, too, from being mind-controlled. Right. You know, he's recovering from a brain injury. Kipton, I won't be able to scream as loud as I normally do. 
love the look on his face. But from where? Nimoy is just doing half smiles like crazy through this whole yep. movie. Sula really doesn't get a whole lot of stuff to do at all. He gets a couple little one-liners, but yeah, you're right. That's that's about it. He's sit, he really sit, got sitting in his chair most of the time in this movie. He really, when you when you consider the history of of the character and the show and everything, he really did get gypped in this movie, because by all accounts, it should have been him. Yes, reliant both. You know, because he outranks Chekhov. For I don't once, think he so. screams as good as Walter Koenig, though. I think that's all it was to it. Well, it, it it made it makes more sense to me logically that it should have been his character to develop because he's got the higher rank. He should be moving up by this point and everything. He was really into being his so, own captain too. You know, captain God, I ship. promised myself I wouldn't mention this, but you know, as as everybody and their brother likes to nitpick. Chekhov wasn't in Space Seed, so Khan shouldn't really know him. You know, I mean, there have been all kinds of no promises for that. But, you know, essentially going strictly by what we see on screen in that episode, Chekhov's not there. So the easy fix to that, make it be Sulu. So why they didn't go that route, I have no idea. I I wasn't joking. I think it's really because... Walter Koenig is sort of the Fay Ray of Star Trek. You know, he's... He really... I mean, they really used his... They, they obviously noticed that he had a great girly scream right. TV show and used it a lot. Yeah, they did. He spent a lot of time screaming in horror. So, you know, I think that that was sort of why they did that, you know. It did become cliched after a while, though. I'm not sure exactly where we crossed that line. Maybe with this movie. We crossed that line that now that it's been, you know, he got zapped in the first movie. He got earwigged in this movie by the, what is it? I don't think anything bad happens to him in the third that I can recall right off the top of my head. But in the fourth movie, you know, he he falls. He takes a bad fall. So by that point, it's like, okay, you know, somebody else needs to to take a bullet once. No, he's becoming the Marvin, the paranoid android of Star Trek. You know, he's <laughs> the whip, the C three PO. He's the whipping. He's going to get dismembered every 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 time. I'm trying to remember if something off the top of my head. I can't remember anything. Well, he does get that horrible uh, space pilgrim outfit in the third movie. I guess that would count. Man, his hand is gnarly. I always forget how. What a what a gory effect that is! Yeah, yeah he's, he's not going to be doing barbecue Vienna sausages. <laughs> he's not going to be doing any needlepoint. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my hand looks like after like twelve hours of GTA or something like that. <laughs> yeah, GTA, not internet porn. <laughs> <laughs> With my last I, I dying not breath, what I spank at thee. <laughs> Who designed uh, this damn thing that you gotta turn it constantly? Every, everything, every, everything that launches has to be like that, you know? You have to turn it four times and... 
even though even though we all know nowadays by this time it would be a computer screen and you push a button and say launch and it would say are you sure <laughs> launch cancel and then you would hit launch again i said launch not launch <laughs> Pretty. It's a great, great scene. We'll beam aboard stop it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You beam over there, and then you beam it out into space and wide dispersal. That's how you take care of the problem. That's always made me nuts. But that that comes from. Having seen the movie too many times, a million and times. Having, yeah, having you know, having had plenty of time to think about the situation and how you could get out of it, rather than going, "Gee, we got three minutes to live. What can we do?" You know. Now, again, with the nitpicks, but wouldn't it make more sense to just go forward as fast as you can? Because I know what what they're showing here was that the ship had to kind of back up and turn to fly off in the other direction. But by the time it finishes that back up and turn maneuver, it could be beyond Khan's ship if it just went straight. Khan's ship ain't going to do anything to him. (laughs) Guy rocking in the background. Oh, my aching noggin. That's awesome. How you been? Fine, sir. <laughs> now he's crying. Look at him. Oh, I think a book. I. He literally. He reminds me of like Pirates of the Caribbean or something, like an animatronic <laughs> that they just made through a recording. Sure, kitty, kitty, kitty. <laughs> Sp- oh, now he's on his ski gloves. Those are my ski gloves. You're going to ruin them. <laughs> Those are my hockey mitts. Time for my mark. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love it because it's in the nebula. It almost makes them look like they're in the sky with clouds. Yeah. Rather than the blackness of space. It was a really great idea. Mm-hmm. Visually. Now, does the Genesis device... Does that? Do you think that was a callback to Nomad? Because the Genesis device to me looks a lot like Nomad. It kind of, yeah, it kind of does actually. I, I don't know if it was intentional, but yeah, it kind of does. What I like about this part here is it makes absolutely no sense, but they don't waste any time explaining it yes, to you. Yes, they just let it let it go. I like how Kirk's sitting right there. It's great body language. I, I wonder if Shatner did it intentionally. You know, he sees. Oh yeah, he's locked, helpless, and arms crossed. Yeah, so he's he's in a completely like, you know, the, himself. Yeah, it's it's the next best thing to to fetal position. You know, he he doesn't he he realizes there's nothing he can do. But wait out the clock, which probably drives him nuts. It's making him crazy. Yeah, so he's locking himself up to keep from going crazy. Wouldn't it be funny if Khan flipped a coin and decided to leave him alone? (laughs) 
You got a little something on your face there, hey, dude. I'm gonna wipe that off. I think he fell. Uh, I think he got a little bit of driver's tan there. <laughs> I love the graphics. That line, that line was what I also recall was one of your favorites. Yep, I love your we kids. Line. Go, Sulu! I can't believe how many times it took me watching this movie before I realized that as soon as the Genesis thing blows up, the sky instantly clears because it's sucking in all the matter of the nebula to make mm -hmm. the planet. I, I mean, it's so obvious now, but I didn't realize it for probably the first, I don't know, dozen times I saw the movie. It's crazy. It's weird, those jackets make it seem like it's almost cold on the Enterprise. Right. And the way they keep their hands in the pockets and stuff, they're like they're out in the cold. Engine room. Damn, she's cute. Well done, Scotty. She reminds me too much of Dinah Shore, who I never saw as being very <laughs> sexy-like. No, no, she was not. But yeah, you're right, she is a little bit Dinah Shore, yeah. That's funny. That look. Oh, shit. I like that look. Well, you can tell in his body language that he's just in that state of just, like, panic. Yeah. That cold chill you get down your, the spine where you figure out what's going on. <laughs> out of my way. That's great. That look on his face yeah. just kills me. That is a great moment yeah. between those three. It's awesome. This is a moment where, you know, in the Kirk arc where he realizes you can pull it out your ass, but you don't always win. You don't always. You, you, yeah. It reminds me a lot of a line to to pull a line from the last Indiana Jones movie though where you know where they talk where he talks about Marcus being dead and his father being dead and you know the the guy who's with him says this is the point in our lives where you know time start where where starts life taking, starts taking okay. things away from us instead yeah. of giving them to us if there's one thing i i would be curious. I won't say that I think that they should do or I wish they would do, but I would be yeah. curious to see if they could have done and, and made it work is for Khan to have died knowing, you know, what he did to Kirk. Cause he essentially died. Well, I mean, he essentially died believing he'd gotten him. Yes. But I think it would have worked just as well maybe even better potentially if he died knowing maybe that he'd done worse actually. that he done actually done worse to kirk that he took his best friend from him you know that he had finally delivered that blow to kirk that he had been trying to deliver the whole movie you know that, because i i really think that 
that that would have worked well because we kind of get that when Khan makes the decision that I don't have to kill you. You know, I, I can do to you what you did to me, you know, when he leaves him thinking that he's he's took his buried wife. him alive. I would have been really curious to see if they could make. I'm not sure how they would figure that out and how make you know make that work. But I'd be curious how that would have played. I'm telling you, this scene, every single time, gets me. It just totally does. It doesn't matter that he's coming right back in the next movie. No, you know, it, it doesn't matter that you know future Spock goes where he goes i just every time i watch this it absolutely kills no, me No, you're watching shatner's just he's just his heart's being broken or you know yep. kirk his heart's being broken because he's watching and he's it's like you were saying before and once again he's that look powerless his, yeah look at that look on it you know he's he's devastated he literally doesn't know what to do next which is something we've never really seen from from kirk he always knows what to do. No, it's always involved him and Spock <laughs> really yeah. kind of exploring the universe. So. And yet it should be noted that in the midst of our sorrow... I always, though I always thought that this area, which was obviously made for having funerals, was like very... Um, was a little too hull of a ship, you know, and not like... You oh, this is just the torpedo. This oh, I, that's I was... right. That's right. This is a torpedo bay, but yeah, that's that's true. It, it yeah, it just doesn't see yeah. Okay, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> I always thought it was a little bit strange that I, I mean I can his... see that this is where they would go to, you know, bury their their comrades in space. I get that. But I always want, you know, even when we used to bury people at sea or when we bury people at sea now, my understanding is that they're in some sort of a, I, I don't know, a coffin or a bag or something like that. Right here, he's literally in essentially a hollowed out photon torpedo tube. That seems a little weird to me. It's like, well, then again, this was supposed to be just a training crew, so maybe that's all they've got on hand. Maybe they didn't bring coffins with them, you know? Not not anticipating needing any, you know? True. Well, it's still got a nice, poofy, uh, you know, padded inside, as we'll see in the next one. Right. This does beg the question, are they honoring Spock's wishes here? Or what exactly is going on? Because, all right, spoiler, but we know what Spock did with Dr. McCoy now. You know, in the next movie, it's revealed that he put his soul into McCoy with... I, I'm, I've always presumed that it was with the hopes you know, of somehow being reunited with himself later on, possibly, or, or at, at, at the most, uh, or at least rather, you know, that, that McCoy would figure out that he needed to get back to Vulcan and do the Vulcan and, thing. Right. Yeah. Store his soul 
you know, in the whatever they called it, the Hall of Souls or whatever, you know. So there's that weird moment that still doesn't make sense to me in the next movie where Sarek says, no, you've got to go back to Genesis. You've got to go get Spock. I love that movie, but I will acknowledge there are flaws in the logic of the story. Oh, yeah. In that movie. There's really no logical reason to go and retrieve Spock's body, yeah. especially if that was Spock's, you know, if that was in his will or in his whatever, you know, his final request that, you know, should I die? Here's what I want you to do. Then that's going counter to his specific wishes for how he wanted to be interred. So I've always been a little bit fuzzy on, you know, how that all played out. I like this moment, though. I always like this moment a lot. It's a shame that uh, this didn't go further with Dave. I would like to see David stick around for, say, another movie or so, just to get a little bit more interaction between these two. He kind of looks like he would be the genetic combination of yeah of her. He does. Kirk. He does. Looks like nobody bothered to put his name on his name tag. <laughs> it's always bugged me. Hi, my name's David. What's funny is uh, I can't remember where in the world I would have read it. It was a long time ago now. This is probably just the way Shatner hugs people. But yeah. That is the exact way that he hugs his mirror self in uh, yes. Enemy Within. <laughs> yes, he does a sort of desperate, too close grab. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't really allow the other person to put their arms around him. He's just kind of grabbing onto them. It's funny. I know. I guess I think this supposed voiceover to be was added, kind of like Blade Runner style, possibly. Well, to, to, yeah, to, to help it, to help you transition know, the scene, yeah, or yeah, in the, in the set movie. up the next one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've often wondered: Do you think when they made this movie, were they thinking further ahead, or was it just? You know, let's make this one, and we can well, I think leave a vague out if we want, if we feel that we need one. But because yeah, Nimoy, I think this movie's huh? I mean, I'm, didn't wasn't Nimoy sort of looking for an out at this point? Wasn't oh yeah, sort of he was not. He didn't yeah. want to be Spock, so yeah. You know, so they probably were thinking, all right, well, well, now we've made his, you know, now we've done it, you know. They actually, they actually made it possible, and then he probably changed his mind, and then they saw... He came back for one reason, and one reason only, is that they were going to let him direct the picture. Mm -hmm. You know, because you know, they were begging and pleading, because this movie did gangbusters at the box office. Right. You know, this, this cemented the facts. Well, I'll take that back a little bit. This should have cemented the fact <laughs> To stupid studio execs, that, that fact Star will never Trek... be cemented. <laughs> that will never be cemented. Yeah, and that Star Trek was a viable 
phenomenon that could sustain itself, you know, if done. I'm, I'm like telling this, you, done well, and you, it never even stopped. if this second J.J. Abrams one is as much as a hit of the first one. Eventually, no matter how many sequels, they're going to start cutting back, you know, doing the same thing they always do and just going like, yeah, maybe we can trim this down a little bit, you know. I don't necessarily mean that. What I mean is that because of the nature of the way the first one played out for the studio, and again, I've never understood this either. Granted, the movie could have been better received on a critical level, financially, that movie did gangbusters. It was it was a big hit. However, because of the critical drubbing that it took, and I suspect the fact that it wasn't the next Star Wars, even though it did great at the box office, the simple fact that it didn't perform up to somebody's expectations because it didn't you know well they were thinking oh you got your star wars, wars. now we're coming back with star yeah, trek star trek we're gonna and at that point star, it didn't happen at that point the return of star trek in any fashion was like miraculous to the people nobody was expecting it to come back it had right been attempted and talked about and failed so just it was and then the movie was one of those things that they were working on that movie forever and i remember being a kid going god i've been hearing about this for years you know right what is gonna happen you hear the story of harlan ellison wrote the treatment for it and they didn't like that and this guy did it and then they were gonna do a tv show blah 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 so i thought it was just never gonna happen i thought they were just like gonna diddle around until it's so funny that and that something that was so popular and so such a huge cultural phenomena that not only you know despite it not being a big hit when it was on tv you know just was survived and yet it 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 would always have always is such a production to get it off the ground over and over again you know Well, the thing was, is, you know, so after the first movie and the way all the drama and everything played out with that, despite how well this movie did, the the one thing, the one knock that I will allow myself against the motion picture is that it forever sabotaged Sabotaged? the the rest of the Star Trek film franchise in the fact that there were never contracts. Each of these films has been made picture to picture to picture. Oh, well, there, that makes it a big pain because all the actors are going to pull all their... Yep. ...their diddly-doodling around. Yep, and that's how both Nimoy got out with this movie, but that's also how he got back in with the next movie because when, surprise, this movie comes out is a big hit. And then the studio is scrambling, going, holy shit, we got to do another one. We got to bring Spock back. Nimoy's like, uh-uh, I'm, I'm done. I didn't want to do this in the first place. You gave me the out I wanted. I'm, I'm finished. And then that gives him the leverage to truly negotiate his position. 
you know, which he did masterfully. He ended up being um, director. And I'm trying to remember, did he co-write? I don't think he, I think it, I know he was co-writer on four. I don't but think that he could was just... co-writer on three. But anyway, he got to direct the picture. He got to direct the next two pictures. So for him, that no contract thing really played out well. Well, but it, for the it really worked out o- well for him because he actually became quite a successful director. Right. Two, two men and a little lady or two men and a baby and three men and a baby. And, and a baby. Uh, the good. What was it? Good something. Good mother. Good earth. Good wife, maybe. Like that. Yeah, something like that. And a couple other ones, I think, too. But uh, but then Star Trek four. That was that was a money maker. Yeah. yeah, huge hit. I believe Star Trek Three was a big hit as well. It's just you don't, for some reason, you don't hear a lot about it uh, about that picture. And that's another one that that was makes one that me took, scratching I think my head. It took why years that's yeah to to when it came out. And I remember when I saw it when I came out, it didn't have uh, th- this movie had just such a structure to it. Mm-hmm. And and Star Trek Three was sort of putting the pieces back together, right? And it was like more about getting getting Spock back alive and having a conflict through it with the Klingon, but it didn't have just that stuff to bind it together that this one did, you know. And and it made up for that in in like um, atmosphere. It has a, a, quite an atmosphere to it, and. Uh, we did a commentary for three, didn't we? I don't think we did a commentary for three. I think we did. Uh, I think we just did when we did two and three, I think was the only time we really covered three. We'll have to look at that sometime because I really love the third movie. I do I... too. I remember going to see it with you, with your dad at the drive-in. Mm-hmm. And, we'll have to uh, check into that sometime, but... uh. It's always got that drive-in feel to it to me now. From mm-hmm. then that it was very dark. It was a very dark movie, like dark lit, and it was. It's a very funny you say that because movie. yeah, it, it's funny you say that because I I do to this day. Um, when I when I will dig that one out and watch it, I still think drive-in movie. Drive-in, yeah, it, it definitely to, feels to, that way to, to me. To this day, it it reminds me of Tron. Wherein it's a, a late night movie. Oh yeah, you know, it's a nighttime movie, and it has a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense in it. But when you look at it as almost dreamlike, mm-hmm. it works out. It it, it fit. It, it works. You know. I like the as much as I love the color palette in this movie, Star Trek Two. I love the color palette that much more in the third movie. I think that Nimoy purposely used color to sway our moods. It was yeah, well movie. it was all dark fire and ice. It was reds and flames and blue blues, coldness. Yeah, a lot of blues. Yep. Yeah. A lot of blues in that one that really work well. But yeah, I I love that movie. I I really really do. It's uh I think it's a testament to the beginning of the the film franchise that I, you know, I will vacillate in which ones are my favorites from time to time because I, you know, the the first three 
really mean a lot to me. I mean, they're they're really three fantastic pictures. And, uh, you know, while I love all the Star Trek movies, um, it's really those first three that I, I think those are the core pictures. That's that's you know, they, they set everything up and uh, and I think they create that framework. And sadly, I think that when they started to, you know, sadly, age it was a lot of it. You know, they started to age. They started to beef up that sort of thing. And, and some of them, I think they started to lose their enthusiasm and just show up for a paycheck, too. I'll be honest. It's- but also when they started to kind of diverge from the story a bit and just, you know, start to tell, you know, stories that didn't necessarily tie back in to the overall right picture that was set up with say star trek 2 that's that's where i felt like it went away a little bit and i know that myers worked really hard to bring it all back with six and it's funny because at the time i felt like he did a really stellar job with that one he did but a good over... job of it but it wasn't wrath of khan all over again no no it wasn't i i think by that point it was a little late to try to to bring it all back because it, it visually it just didn't quite work. They they had they'd aged. Well, what I think happened with that, with, yeah, but I think Nicholas Meyer, what he did with that one was they had aged too much, mm-hmm. but he took him out. He tried to take him out as gracefully as possible, right? Because I remember they were saying that you know like oh these guys are too old to do it. But they made it plausible in this one. Please don't let it go any further than this. That <laughs> was mostly what the reviews were. They were like, let it go out. Let them go out. That this ensemble cast go out on this one. Because, mm-hmm. you know, rather than five, basically, they were just like, oh, okay, good, good. This could be the last Star Trek film, not five. Let's Let's mm-hmm. keep it at that. <laughs> I haven't seen six since I was since it first came out. I saw it in the theater, and I haven't seen it since. Did we not I do a commentary it. for that one? No, definitely not. I'm gonna have to go and, and hunt up our commentaries to see which ones we've done and which ones we haven't, because that always blows me away. When all you have I, to I, do I, is go to our forum and go <laughs> to the Freak episode omnibus under commentaries and check it out. But I'm, I'm sure I haven't seen it since it was in the theater. See, it's it's funny because for the longest time that one was like one that was right up there as one of my absolute favorites. But uh, I have to say that uh, as of the last couple of times I've watched that one, I have to agree with the people that now say that that one has not aged it well. Hasn't aged I, I I don't believe. I it'll think be they're ex- right. I don't. That'll believe be an that excellent judgment for me to do because I I'll have no in between with it. You know what I mean. I'll, I'll have seen it on its original thing, and now I'll be now I'll be it because I really I've seen a few scenes from it, but like the whole second act of it, I don't think I've seen anything. You know when he's on the in the gulag at the end. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'd be curious to to see that one again. We'll do them all eventually, I'm sure. It's a good movie. I enjoy it, but I think ultimately what that one suffers from is. A, a cast that is, you know, they've aged to a point where credibility is, is stretched to the breaking point. Um, 
the diminishing returns effect really shows through on that one. Not as badly as five, because at least the effects they had the budget are, are good. Yeah. You know, they're they're not pulling out all the stops, but they're not cheaping out and making it look like Superman four either. Um, but unfortunately, despite the fact that it's directed by Myers, a lot of cheese carried over from five yes. to six. And that was a shame that it didn't have the same level of, you know what, I'm, I'm going to if I if it takes me a thousand takes to get the reaction I want out of this actor, then I'm going to wait for it because. I don't want it to feel like a third season episode of the original series. I want it to be, you know, what I want it to be. I don't think he had that this, the the second time around with uh, no with six because there are some some moments that just plain they're oh, cheesy and they don't really work. The you know, between two and six is by the time he had was doing six, Le Nimoy and Shatner were both directors by that time, so they right. probably a little more spunky, right? About their job, maybe. Well, it's funny is a lot of but it's not even them because you know the a couple of the moments I was thinking of right off the top of my head um, don't really involve them as as being the the element that doesn't work in the scene. You know, there's a uh, a part with uh, with Chekhov um, trying to solve the mystery of the of the floaty space boots. Yes, and that scene just plays out so cheesily. You know, it's it's almost painful in its cheese. So, but anyway, that's a that's a future. That's future. another Star Trek. For that's another day. Star Trek. But that's about all I got for Wrath of Khan. Um, damn, do I love this movie? Always a fun fun time. Yes, and I, um, I'm looking forward to next month when we're back on format. But I like this. I like this. is This will uh, be a nice little contrast with the movie coming out. Mm-hmm. And what was our episode for next time? Seems to me it was going to be the a Galileo good one. Seven. That was it. Yes. Hey, did you see that was in the news recently? No. Somebody restored it. I saw a news article on it that somebody has restored the uh, the Galileo 7. The, oh, cool. I, I guess it must be the original one. That that's how I interpreted the uh, the article anyway. Oh. That it was the actual one from the from the show. Somebody hands on the prop. Yeah. Yeah. Surprised it made it this long. <laughs> no kidding. Tell you the truth. It's like out in some farmer's field or something. Next to Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, Tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2truefreaks.libson.com 
Two True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please, use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of... Two True Freaks. All right, Star Trek Two Wrath of Khan auditions. Take 47, Gary I'm, Cooper. I don't know you, but you. I never forget a face, mister. All right. Chekhov, isn't it? I thought, I t- thought to never see your face again. All right, thank you. Take 434, Christopher Walken, Morgan Freeman. What do you want with us, sir? I demand... You, my friend, are in a position to demand nothing, sir. I, on the other hand, am in a a position to grant bupkis. What you see is uh, all the remains of uh, the ship's company and crew of the Botany Bay marooned here 15 years ago by Captain James T. Kirk. Listen, you men and women, you have a captain, captain, save your strength, buddy. These people have sworn to live and die at my command. Okay, that's good. 200 years before you were born. Okay, thanks. You mean to tell me he never told you the tale to amuse your captain? Oh, no? Oh. Well, sit down, okay. kids. Let me tell you. Cut. Never told you how the Enterprise picked up the Botany Bay, lost in space like Mr. that w- Will Robinson Walken? kid in Mr. the year Walken. 1996. Okay, myself that's, that's and the ship's enough. company in cryogenic freeze. Um, I've never even met Admiral Kirk. Oh, Admiral. Admiral. Admiral, big shot. 
Okay. I told you stop, how stop, Admiral stop Kirk talking. sent uh, a stop. bunch of us in exile in this barren pile of crap. Stop. I'm telling you what he put us on. Somebody, somebody call security. I don't need this shit. I'm going back to the electric company. Tech 694, Marlon Brando. I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me, as you left her. Marooned for all eternity in the center of a dead planet. Buried alive. Buried. Alive. Wait, wait, I could do that again. You want to do it different this time? I could do silly. If you want, you want, I think silly would be good. You want me to do silly? 794, Sean Connery. Of course. We're one big happy fleet. Ah, Kirk, my old friend. Do you know the Klingon proverb tells us revenge is a dish best served cold? It's very cold in space. <laughs> Take 914, Walter Brennan. I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me, as you left her. Marooned for all eternity in the center of a dead planet. Buried alive. Buried alive! Take 1214, Walter Cronkite. No, no, you can't get away. From hell's heart, it stabbeth thee. For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee. And that's the way it is from the bridge of the USS Reliant, Stardate 8141.6. Good night. Can somebody get me a fucking coffee? All right, call Montalbum and tell him we'll pay him his money.